Hello, my lovelies. Welcome back to another episode of Did You Read the Book, a comparative podcast where movie buffs and bookworms come together to talk about stories and their adaptations that we love, hate, or love to hate. I am your host, Erin Palmer, and once again, joined by the lovely Julie. Hello again, Julie. Boo, Erin. <laughs> boo to you too. <laughs> Hello. Hello. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Okay, we're back for another round, Julie, because you're my new favorite. I will always have great topics with you, slash I will always pick on you, so thank you for coming back. (laughs) Oh, I'm always happy to come back and just nerd out, or in this case, nerd rage (laughs) over anything. Oh, God, yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah, strap in, folks. This is going to be a a rough ride, I think. This is going to be one of the rough ones for sure. Uh, I'm dying to talk about it, but at the same time, like, oh, God, okay. Uh, what is our topic today, Miss Julie? Well, our topic and uh, source material today is the is two books this time. Mm-hmm. Surprise, surprise! Mm-hmm. Uh, the Vampire Lestat and Queen of the Damned by Anne Rice, um, respectively, written in 1985 and 1988. They are the sequels to Interview with the Vampire. Ooh, yes, so mm-hmm. book two and three, mm-hmm. we're going to do it a little different this time, covering two books. And then on the flip side, we are only covering one film called Queen of the Damned, and it was directed by Michael Reimer in 2002, and it is starring Stuart Townsend, Aaliyah, Marguerite Moreau, Vincent Perez, Lena Olin, and many, many other actors. I was about to say awesome actors, and then I was like, well, <laughs> is it awesome <laughs> You can be an awesome actor and still have a terrible director. This is very true. Uh, Star Wars is a really good example for the newer Mm -hmm. episodes one through three. That's a really good example where abysmal writing, really good actors. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We'll we'll get into that. (laughs) I haven't seen enough of this director's material to know to call it either way. but You know, I haven't either. And I'm like, I should have looked up to see what else Michael Reimer had done. But yeah, I'm I, I'm not super impressed, but we'll get into why that is. <laughs> uh, all right. Before we get started, spoilers. We're talking about two books, one film. Um, technically, there's, <laughs> there's not even spoilers in the film because we'll get into why. <laughs> but if you don't want things spoiled for you for the books, <laughs> don't listen right now. Hit that pause button, go read your books, and then come back to us and dive in. Uh, otherwise, before we get started, Miss Julie... This is a very loaded question. Uh, pro mm-hmm. source or pro adaptation? Books. <laughs> End statement. <laughs> done. But done? why, Julie? Quickest episode Are we d- ever. D- d- the, the end. We're done. Yeah. Uh, okay, yeah. We're not even going to go into teaser world about why that is because um, there's no sugarcoating, folks. Neither of us are fans of the film. And don't you, don't you fret. We'll get into that. All right, Miss Julie. Let's take it away. So could you give us a lovely synopsis of we're going to do a hodgepodge of the two books. Is that right? Yep, because right. they are sequels to each other. And uh, more than that, the number three is an immediate sequel to mm-hmm. number two. Number two ends on a cliffhanger and then it picks up immediately from there. In yep. fact, it even backtracks a little bit. For it does. Yeah, it yeah. does a lot of crossover for sure. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
So, all right. So for the Vampire Lestat and Queen of the Damned, you know him. You love to hate him. The Vampire Lestat is here to tell his side of the story and more. After taking a dirt nap for over half a century, he is back to rock your literary and musical world with a debut rock album and biography. From his start as a minor mortal French lord to immortal glam rocker, Lestat will tell us all he knows about the human and vampire condition and explain away all the bad things he did in the interview with the vampire. But what will happen when all his noise and antics awaken something ancient and dangerous Ooh, julie so yes. good yes i love that excellent excellent very good way to crunch two very dense books into one very sweet description yeah <laughs> a yeah, plus yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh all right well let's get into it um tell me about the books what did you think like i know the last time we talked about Anne rice and her world it was interview with a vampire so you convinced me to keep going and now we've gotten to book two and three so tell me your thoughts Mm -hmm. well i've read um this series before so i my thought is that i'm curious how you um, Mm. reacted to the books especially considering that there was more than a decade between the two books Mm -hmm. uh, between number one and number two i should say Mm -hmm. um so how did uh you feel about like the change in pace and style and all that stuff yeah great question um yeah because the interview was written in 75 early 70s right Mm -hmm. so yeah so uh, a decade, possibly a little bit over a decade. Um, I was kind of blown away, to be honest, of how like night and day the the style was, um, the really overall kind of character development, the vibe. I mean, everything was completely different in a good way. I think that interview was pretty linear, which we kind of talked about previously. The characters didn't have too much depth. Everybody was very depressed. And you think about, obviously, during the, her life when she was writing that book, she was in a very depressing time of her life. So it made sense that bled into her book. But this was completely different. A lot more action-packed, a lot more detail, a lot more character development. I actually liked Lestat's character. He wasn't just some like skis ball who just messed around with everybody and didn't care. It definitely made a lot more depth of the characters. And also, you know, Louis from Interview, I I didn't dislike his character, but I was like, eh, his character's kind of bland. But then seeing the other side from Lestat's perspective and seeing what, like, the things that Louis lied about or kind of didn't elaborate enough on and then his kind of overall demeanor. They also have Louis in the uh, Queen of the Damned book. I didn't like Louis. (laughs) I actually liked him less. (laughs) And He's maybe just, just kind like of him there, isn't yeah. he? Yeah, <laughs> he is. Like his character was still felt kind of throwaway, mm-hmm. and I, you know, obviously the book is most like the book, the vampire Lestat is from the perspective of Lestat, so obviously it's very heavily focused on what he's going through and what he went through. And then Queen of the Damned bounces around between a couple different people, but again, Lestat is one of those people, and Louis is just kind of you know part of the furniture <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> Which I'm like, yeah, that checks out. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, even like when uh, Lestat talks about Louis and why he made him a vampire and why he loves him, mm-hmm. his his main and really only thing is like, 
Louis is so beautiful. Yeah, he's just a good looking dude, and that's about I saw him it. And had to have him, and that yeah. was it. It's he like was yummy. Personality. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Kind of milk bland toast, and but he's got a really pretty face, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that definitely carried through, which I thought was interesting because I don't. I'm curious if you know anything about like is that was that intentional by Anne Rice? Do you know, or do you? I wonder, like because. I know that the books focus around Lestat a lot more, but it's it seems like Lestat had a huge kind of glam up and development with his character, but Louis really didn't. And I'm curious mm-hmm. if if that was intentional because it's like Louis was never meant to be the focal point or she's like, I don't care enough about Louis to do anything more for him right now. Like, I'm, I'm so curious of why the trajectory went that way. Well, um, to kind of touch back on what we talked about in the interview at the Vampire episode. Um, mm-hmm. Anne Rice was going through a rough time at the time mm-hmm. and dealing with the loss of a child. And so Louis was more or less um, an avatar for her feelings mm-hmm. and her working mm-hmm. through right. that as opposed to a character in his own right. So yeah. when she returned to this series, I doubt she wanted to return to that mindset and so chose right. a different character. Totally. Uh, that makes sense. And in that sense, all of these characters are much more, even though we're talking about undead creatures, alive than mm-hmm. any of them were in Interview with the Vampire. Totally. Um, and so with Lestat, you know, aside from the fact that he was Louis' maker and had a mortal father uh, and was a bit of a skis ball, we didn't know that much about him. So he's like the perfect character to kind of take and rework and kind of mm-hmm. retell a little bit of the story that she wanted to and create a whole new thing. And Lestat does become, yes, the main character of the series mm-hmm. after this, more or less. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And yeah, I, yeah, that totally makes sense. I, I can get on board with that. And I guess I, I did want to talk a lot more about Lestat and how, like you were saying, they they took his like very brief info from interview and then blew it up so that you have a very full scope of his before vampire life, early vampire life to, you know, pre- present day in this case, which was the 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, so a longer span, a, m- a lot more historical information about Lestat and also about just vampirism as a whole because he starts meeting other vampires and starts learning about the creators of vampires and just a whole bunch of lore. And they really get even deeper into the lore in Queen of the Damned as well. Yeah, I think the biggest factor for Lestat for me that made me just kind of fall in love with him was his human life was just so sad and so depressing and his family was just kind of abysmal to him. <laughs> and it was so sad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so for oh. the purposes of, you know, people following along, Lestat is like the sixth or seventh son of a minor noble French family. Mm-hmm. But they're so minor um, that the nobility is kind of just the title. They're not rich. They're not mm-hmm. powerful by any means. They're just like the local lords mm-hmm. who people pay homage to, but they're just like freezing away in their castles. And the only reason they're eating is because Lestat goes out and like hunts things for them mm-hmm. uh, kind of thing. And, you know, his father's cruel to him. They won't... Um, they won't let him like go to seminary school and become a priest because they don't have the funds to like, you know, make sure he has an actual powerful position mm-hmm. in the priesthood. And his mom just obviously never wanted to be a mother. She was just, you know, someone that got married away and had to have a bunch of kids. And it's just like, I'm going to sit here and read my life away mm-hmm. and you all just don't bother me. <laughs> I know his mom is such a, a tragic character. It's, it's mm-hmm. interesting to see her because 
She's the only one in the family that can, is literate. She's the only one that can read. And so that's her only sanctuary is her books. And Lestat is really – it seems like he has a pretty close relationship with his mother in comparison to anybody else in his family. But at the same time, he has a lot of jealousy and resentment around her for like she never taught him how to read. I I feel like he didn't feel very supported by her with like the seminary decision and really anything in his life. And she really is just kind of a passenger. And again, you think of the times. This is like what the, this was the 1700s or 1800s. Yes, it was the 1700s. 1700s. Yeah. So, you know, you think of women in that time where they literally are just baby factories. So she was literally just, you know, popping out babies and that was all she was there for. So I can see where that kind of depression would come from <laughs> and like just discontent Mm -hmm. um interesting dynamic for sure yeah she mentions at one point that um you know she has a close relationship with Lestat as close as she'll allow it to be yes it's distant still for sure it's still distant yeah but she says that he is more or less her male avatar for the world because she is so restricted by her gender in that time that Mm -hmm. you know she gives him the funds uh, eventually to like escape the family Mm -hmm. uh just like yes go out there write to me about your adventures let me live vicariously through you but that's still not being close. That's just another way for her to escape the life she's living in her head. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Escapism is definitely a really big factor for her. And I can totally see why. Again, we go back to the times and just the lack of basically rights or any sort of opportunity. I can see where that would go. But it is really sad that he like Lestat just wants some sort of connection with his family And he's barely getting that fulfilled by his mom. And so it's like he's just craving for some sort of connection. And then that's kind of where, and like before he turns into a vampire, he starts to um, find a connection with one of the, um, he's a local or is he a transplant? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So one of the locals there, which is Nick or Nikki. Nikki. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, poor Nikki. I know. <laughs> Nikki is a really interesting character. Again, a lot of very tragic characters. And again, we, we, this is a very strong theme in all of her work, I feel. It's just, there's mm-hmm. just a lot of tragedy. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's, it's a big thing in all of her work. Not just the vampire books, but like yep. all of them. A lot yeah. of tragedy, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yep. Poor Nikki is... A son of a local businessman who uh, is wealthy, wealthier mm-hmm. than Lestat's family, definitely. And mm-hmm. he wants, uh, the businessman wants Nikki, his son, to become a lawyer. But Nikki instead went to Paris to study and fell in love with the violin and just wants to be a violin player. Scandal. Scandalous. Mm-hmm. Um and so when he comes back to visit his family, like, you know, he meets Lestat, who had just gone through, like, a traumatic event involving some wolves. Mm-hmm. And uh, they become fast friends, like drinking the night away, debating philosophy, maybe being lovers, hint, hint. Uh, <laughs> uh, and they decide to run off together to Paris, you know, to the shame of both of their families, to, you know, to mm-hmm. hell with it and see where life takes them. Un- unbeknownst to Lestat, though, Nikki's goal in life isn't so much to find connection, find happiness wherever you can and make do with your life, but to... S- to, bur- to just hit bottom, essentially. The, the fight club aimed to hit bottom and stay there and wat- and take drag others with you. Yeah. He, he wanted to take Lestat and watch him suffer and was upset that it didn't happen. <laughs> right. I know. Mm-hmm. Like, really very dysfunctional relationship, whether it's at, like a legitimate like platonic relationship or romantic, however you want to look at it. 
very dysfunctional. And unfortunately, like Louis in the or not Louis <laughs> Lestat in the beginning, you know, he he seemed to have so much hope in him and he got so much energy and so much happiness from being with Nikki in the beginning. And it was really sweet and genuine. And then as time goes on, you see the kind of like, I guess Nikki's almost kind of like a jaded character where he just sees a lot of the bad and everything. And he he is like very pessimistic about life and has a lot of issues with like the bureaucracy and the kind of um, not the monarchy, but just kind of the upper crust versus the regular man and how religion plays. And like he's just very philosophical and it, it's just a lot. <laughs> it's a lot for them to take on. And it was kind of doomed to fail. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and they they knew it. Like Lestat knew they were doomed to fail. If like if they mm-hmm. were successful, it would have been a surprise to to him as well. Yeah, uh, he was just trying to make do with what he wanted to do and live life finally the way he wanted to live it. Mm-hmm. And I I think that's the biggest drivers for Lestat is he wants to do what he wants to do, and he doesn't want to be alone. Ultimately. Well, that definitely carried through from the first book because yes. that was like his entire. <laughs> like reason for being with Louis and making Claudia where it's like we don't want to be alone so we're just gonna wing it <laughs> and mm-hmm. make more people so yeah that definitely carried through yeah it's just it's fascinating to get all of this history for Lestat and then you know you see how he actually becomes a vampire and that's even more depressing like it's just he's just always seems to be in the wrong place at the wrong time <laughs> it's yeah. so sad it's so sad it's, yeah it's uh, like he doesn't want to be alone so he stays with his family until he has a friend who wants to take mm-hmm. him away from it all and does that only to be kidnapped by a vampire <laughs> and turn into a vampire yeah and we'll get into that yeah. um and uh, that vampire immediately leaves um he turns his mother because he loves yeah. her but she's it becomes about to apparent die because yeah. she's about to die he doesn't want to lose her but it becomes apparent after she becomes a vampire that she really doesn't want to fulfill the mother role in his life anymore which like kudos to her yeah you know she wants you don't a new have life. to be a mother for eternity now yeah yeah. yeah yeah um so she wants to go out and do her own thing and we'll talk about her more in depth too and then he finally turns nikki and nikki yeah. just immediately tells him how much he hates him i know yeah. i know then- that is a rough transition because mm-hmm. I don't I don't I want your thoughts on this. So Nikki to me seemed like he wasn't a religious person. But then once Lestat turns, things start to change for Lestat, obviously, because he's no longer to go out during the day. He yeah. starts exhibiting really weird supernatural phenomenon where he can float and do every these like crazy things that he wasn't able to do before. He looks different, he acts different, because he is different. And Nikki definitely starts to notice. And I'm curious on your thoughts if, you know, when when Nikki g- gets turned into a vampire and really even like right before then too it seems like he has some sort of existential crisis around religion and then i'm just i'm I'm just trying to wrap my head around like it seemed like he was anti-religion and then as lestat got turned it it, then he started saying like this is a sin and this is you know this is wrong and i don't know what's going on and then he gets turned and then he's like this is an abomination i'm an abomination you're an abomination like it switches tones so fast and i'm curious mm-hmm. of what you what you thought of that well it's like there's a, a lot to say for uh cultural context too i mean you can be atheist but people will still say you know oh my god or holy crap or mm-hmm. say something is evil or good or, because that is the, the the lingo you're familiar with and it conveys ideas mm-hmm. so 
You can be like not religious and still feel like, you know, if you've been turned into a monster, you can feel like an abomination, you know, an aberration or the quickest way to explain how you're feeling is like, you know, in defiance of God, even if God isn't real. Mm -hmm. It's a quick way to convey information that way. So, yeah, it, it could just be how he's expressing himself with what with terms he's familiar with and others are familiar with. Yeah. And also at the same time, poor Nikki, before he was turned, was practically driven insane. So yeah. I know that <laughs> who's didn't to help. Say that um he didn't go undergo some religious conversion. And um also even if you know you don't personally believe believe yourself you are raised with it and so your brain might jump to those things as because your brain does it tries to connect yep, things tries to rationalize and so yeah. as soon as you see your friend being abducted in the night by a monster your first thought isn't oh vampire yeah it could be oh my god demons yeah <laughs> demons are real um, yeah so yeah that's true uh, and and yeah. also like having a psychotic break might definitely swing you in a more like aggressive way or a more dramatic way that's for mm-hmm. sure true because he definitely was kind of going off the deep end yeah. right towards the end there when you don't know how to explain something your brain will attempt to make connections mm-hmm. with whatever seems to make sense mm-hmm. and i mean that's kind of well we'll talk about this later but that's kind of what akasha does in her history that's explained yeah. too yep. so yep, it, we'll it get seems to that to, yeah so it's it is and i mean you get that with that's it's why people get into conspiracy theories because something doesn't make sense, they attempt to make it make sense however they can. Yep, exactly. So, Rationalize uh, it so that it just works mm-hmm. for what you're trying to accomplish or trying to to achieve. Yeah, yeah. So it could be with Nikki that you know this madness has happened. He's trying to make sense of it, and perhaps you know a religious framework is the easiest way to make sense of it mm-hmm. like yeah monsters are monsters are real i am doing things that were um told to me by society are evil therefore i must be an evil thing mm-hmm. and against the good thing and the good thing is god mm-hmm. so it, yeah. that could be where the the religious talk comes in even if he isn't particularly religious and it could also be backed up by the vampires around him who were all from a satanic cult <laughs> Yeah, let's talk about that. Fun fact, Yay. guys, there's a vampire cult in Lestat. Uh, it's Woo. wild. I didn't realize how much I needed that in my life until I read it. It was pretty great. <laughs> who knew? Yes, and, the and children for those, of darkness. Yes, the children of darkness. For those who don't know me and Julie, um, we're all about that cult life, y'all. So if I can get it in any format, bring on vampire cults. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, so that's that actually was, I think, one of the more fascinating parts of the Vampire Lestat book. Um, and that's where we first officially meet Armand, which he was referenced in um, interview as well. But again, very briefly, very intermittent and towards the tail end. Um, but you get a lot more historical information on how Armand was created and what kind of brought him to his mindset and he's again we come back to the tragic character talk about depressing like his life is really really tragic um and he's supposed to be in his like teens like 15 or so i think 16 is where it's actually settled on yeah Mm -hmm. okay so not antonio banderas sadly no um yeah, it's and it's just crazy to think of a 16-year-old running a vampire cult in this sense. Like <laughs> it's kind of wild. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
Um, What what are your thoughts on that representation? I I thought it was very interesting because uh, going back to Interview with Vampire a little bit, um, Armand is the quote-unquote oldest vampire Mm -hmm. that That they're aware of. Yeah, and Armand tells him that he's the oldest vampire you're ever going to meet, essentially. Even though it's very much not true. Yeah, and so of course, when we have Lestat, who is you know a baby vampire, uh, whose maker died uh, very shortly after he was created, um, Mm -hmm. we meet the quote unquote oldest vampire that we know in this universe, only to find out that a he tries to come across as having all the answers and knows what you're supposed to do as a proper vampire, but is soon revealed to have none of the answers. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's just going with what worked for him Mm -hmm. and kind of, you know, going from there. So yeah, it's, it's very, it's a very interesting take uh, on a character that we had previously known, but it fit in perfectly well with what we've been shown about him. Absolutely. It seemed like in interview, he had a lot more power and control and then, this, you know, this side of him, you see that he really has no idea what's going on. He is very disconnected from current present day, which at that point is, you know, still late 1700s, 1800s, I think. or No, it's still 1700s. Mm-hmm. Yep. So he is very disconnected. His whole cult, you know, they have the mentality that they are the creatures of the night. They are the devils and they can never mix with humans and they have to stay underground. They can't live and try to blend in with humans. And so they're, they're like grimy and dirty and they smell and they're it's just like they're just like wild animals. And it's kind mm-hmm. of a crazy thing to think about. Like that's just perpetuated and they've just literally lived underground for, you know, decades. And that's just the way they've lived because that's how they were taught to live. Yeah, like they live in crypts, even though like mm-hmm. the scent of dead flesh is just like, you know, abhorrent to a vampire. Yeah. Um, they attack anyone, I think, but they kind of leave like worshippers alone. They definitely don't go on like, you know, the, you know, supernatural belief of like hallowed ground. They don't go mm-hmm. near churches. Yep. Um, they're frightened away by the sound of church bells and whatnot. They are they are the stereotypical demon mm-hmm. um, and try to embody that and follow some like bizarre belief that in serving satan because mm-hmm. they believe they are created by Hail satan for serving him yeah <laughs> that by serving satan as evil beings that they will somehow be let into heaven because they are serving god yeah <laughs> yeah um, yeah wild mm-hmm. so it, it's a very interesting take and kind of like challenges the uh, belief of like you know the evil vampire mm-hmm. and you know they uh, Lestat and at the time his mother who had just recently been turned into a vampire are kidnapped by the cult mm-hmm. and are kind of like you know reprimanded like you know why are you doing this why are yeah. you doing that they're blasphemers um, yeah, yeah uh, don't you know you're supposed to do this this and this you were created by you know uh, a heretic Magnus yeah. who didn't follow their ways either and uh, we're here to either to punish you and indoctrinate you essentially mm-hmm. and Lestat's just listening to us and just goes why yeah but why guys <laughs> But why do you live this way? Like, didn't yeah. you see? I could walk into a church. I could do those things. Your leader, Armand, sent you away because he knows he can do those things too. Yeah. Don't, don't you know? Power play, uh, right? Just all yeah. that control. It's amazing. It's and very just cult by, classic. Yeah. And just by asking all the questions and challenging the belief, he manages to dis- dismantle the cult in like a single night. <laughs> I know. A plus for effort. Um, yeah. Yeah, and then it's crazy, too, because there's a, kind of going back to, like, Magnus and then a couple of the other 
older vampires in that cult that are directly under Armand. There's the whole idea that if you're a blasphemer, then you have to repent. And they literally just walk into flames and kill themselves. And that's what Magnus does. He creates Armand, or excuse me, not Armand. He creates Lestat, says, okay, don't eat from dead people. Don't go out in the sun. Okay, bye. And then just walks into the fire because he knows that he's blasphemed and that's the practice. But that's that's not why he killed himself. He was just he was just done with mortality. Immortality. That's right. Uh, some vampires like, don't have out. a stomach for it. He's just like, I'm, yeah. I'm done. I just wanted to make one more thing. You, very good. Uh, and <laughs> Check that here's off the, the list. <laughs> and bye. I know, uh, literally you, yeah. minutes after he's made. <laughs> and I it's... think the implication with the ones in the cult who are burned are those that come to the realization that this is all bullshit. Yeah. I've wasted my life, but I can't escape because it's the only life I know. Mm-hmm. I think I'll just walk into the fire. Because they say before they burn themselves, they all go mad. Yeah. Yeah, so, totally. Because the, the woman crazy. in the cult who's kind of like on par with Armand, she's, she's just, already cuckoo as, for Coco Puffs. As Lestat <laughs> is asking the questions and like challenging everything they know, she's just laughing because she's like, yeah, no, it is all bullshit. And yeah. isn't it great? <laughs> yeah. We're all screwed. Isn't it great? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. The, yeah. The only she one was already real- cuckoo. Yeah, the only one really upset about everything was Armand. Yeah, he's like, you destroyed my cult. Rude. Yeah, (laughs) because Armand kind of follows Lestat in the sense that he doesn't want to be alone either. Mm -hmm. But more than not wanting to be alone, he wants to be needed, necessary, Mm -hmm. and loved. Mm -hmm. So, like, once the cult kind of falls apart, he's just like, well, I'm going to destroy this thing. And he burns some of the other vampires who are too weak to help themselves. Yeah. Uh, and like hunts down some that flee uh, mm-hmm. from the coven themselves. And then he tries to essentially either destroy Lestat and Gabrielle or beg them to love him and stay with him. Yep. And, which is a very reminiscent yeah. thing of what he does with Louis in interview mm-hmm. where he's like, yeah. stay with me. Let's be best friends. Ooh, mm-hmm. it's I'm so great. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, he's very clingy and very de- like dependent upon others and i think that kind of also comes back to the fact that he is not connected with the current times he has no connection and they mention that in interview too where he's like you are my connection to the outside world like i need you to survive this and i it it definitely shows because he has literally been a hermit for you know decades and doesn't have centuries any, centuries yeah so he mm-hmm. has no idea of what the world is like nor was he willing to kind of try and learn Mm-hmm. So, and that's kind of where it, you know, then we see how he takes over the um, the theater of vampires, which is... Well, yeah, it's like, so first we learn about Armand's backstory, which is mm-hmm. that he was turned in like 14th, uh, 1400s of Fran- uh, Italy yeah, by an Venice ancient or Florence, vampire. I can't remember. Yeah, by an ancient vampire named Marius. And yeah, he was turned very, very young. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> despite all of Marius's beliefs um and mm, yeah <laughs> yeah but very very shortly after he has turned hit, the home is attacked by the local satanic cult as you do uh, and his master is burned presumably to death and armand is more or less abducted into the cult mm-hmm. and you know your typical brainwashing of like i've lost everything i need to connect to something here yep. is my new home and just like embraces it he yep. doesn't really believe it but he makes himself believe it wholeheartedly to the point where when like new vampires show up that aren't part of the cult you have to get them in or you got to kill them or you destroy them yeah 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 Yeah, very stockholm syndrome 
Yeah. It's and, a lot. Yeah. And so when uh, Lestat, Lestat is actually the creator of the Theater of the Vampires. Yes. Uh, to give some of the coven members a home. And Armand just kind of like, you know, uh, lost puppies his way into it and becomes <laughs> the leader of it. Even yep. though Lestat continues to hold the deed and still owns it, mm-hmm. it allows Armand to kind of take on the role of leader still because he knows how to manage people. <laughs> Obviously. Look how Obviously. good he did Look before. Yeah. <laughs> and in an interview with the vampire, we'll just let it all burn to the ground again. Don't worry bored. about it. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> Yeah, it's all kind of a hot mess. Um, nobody's really got their shit together. Uh, but it's interesting that kind of the the glue that holds everything together really is Lestat in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. Um, he, you know, he kind of keeps tabs on his mom and helps her stay alive. He tries to help Nikki and that doesn't really go very well. And then he, you know, he helps Armand by giving him the theater. And then Nikki ends up joining and living at the theater as well. It, it's it's just interesting how he really is kind of the glue to everything. And again, that's kind of, you know, main character plot drive. That makes sense. Yeah. But very different tone than the first book, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you've seen most of these characters that we've talked about in Interview mm-hmm. with Vampire, with the exception of his mom. So what did you think about meeting the first ancient vampire we meet, which is Marius? Or, yeah. Uh, which is Ar- Armand's creator. Yeah, let's talk about Marius. Great question. His his character was interesting. I liked the kind of um, mystery that they built around him because everyone's like, you know, we haven't seen Marius in a really long time. Nobody sees him. He doesn't like he's kind of a recluse. He doesn't go anywhere anymore. And so they, they allude to him a lot. And then Lestat kind of travels the world looking for him. And his character is interesting because he's one of the few that actually advocates where he's like, we need to live among people and we need to learn from them. And there, there's something there that we can easily kind of latch onto to help us survive besides the obvious of feeding on them. I, I really, I actually kind of liked his character. Um, not crazy about the fact that he turned a 16 year old. That was poor choice. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it, there's just a lot of very interesting lore around, like, he's he was made a vampire in Roman times, so he was, like, he is extremely old in comparison, and I thought actually that was a really cool line as well, where he gets abducted by the Celts, and then- mm, By Druids, they, yeah. By Druids, and they have a vampire who's even older than him locked in a tree that is literally just, like, wasting away because they only let him feed on, I don't even, what was the cadence? Like, once every, like- I think once a month they feed him, like, you know, your generic criminals, and then once a year they have, like, the big, like, Wicker Man feast mm-hmm. where they have dedicated sacrifices to him and he just gluts himself. Mm-hmm. on it on, and then on they the trap them back in a tree yeah. <laughs> and mm-hmm. it's wild yeah, the god of the grove they call them yeah so yeah. it's very fascinating to see you know very early civilization and how they really were treated like gods and you see kind of the druid celtic um kind of representation of that it's it's very cool it was mm-hmm. a, it was a very cool passage and i i actually really enjoyed that it was messed up but it was yeah. a cool <laughs> a cool way to de- describe that 
Yeah, in both this book and the next one, we get a lot of look into how um, the vampire myth gets viewed through the lens of different um, religions. So, I mean, Mm -hmm. we just talked about the satanic cult. Yeah. So we get a Christian view of vampirism. We just talked about Mario. So we kind of got a like druidic view of vampirism. Mm -hmm. And uh, we are going to get into the uh, Egyptian view of vampirism. Yeah, which is OG vampires. Yeah, and how like the actual creation of the vampires might have led to the change in myths about like Osiris and Isis uh, mm-hmm. especially. Yeah. And yeah, so it's a very interesting thing to delve into. Like, and I love mythology. I and, do like, too. And yeah. different interpretations of it. So I was all down for that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, totally. And just saying, and just getting into like the the mythos of the of this universe that Anne Rice is creating, it's not just a story of a sad vampire anymore. Mm-hmm. We're now getting into the larger world of vampires um, in this book universe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, huge world expanse, which I loved because that was something that I was definitely craving from the first book. Of I want more richness. I want more depth to this world that she's built. It was very surface level, which again. This all makes sense when you see what was going on in her life and this was really a like a healing project, a passion project for her healing, that kind of thing. So it had a completely different purpose, whereas this really is meant to be true storytelling from a universe that she's created in her head. So very, very different vibe. And I I love me some good lore that gets woven into stories like this, especially when it is a lot of lore that you've seen in other ways and she kind of flips it on its head a little bit. Um, especially I, I love the Egyptian line where they start to talk about how um, they persuaded the um, Egyptian gods and goddess like backstory because of them get like the queen and queen getting turned into vampires. And I did want to talk. I know we're going to jump ahead. So this is actually in Queen of the Damned. But I do want to talk about what were your thoughts on the kind of description of how the first vampires were created? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so kind of jumping into Queen of the Damned and a little bit of Vampire Lestat because Marius thinks he knows the story and tells it. Mm-hmm. Um, so in like the Anne Rice world, there are these like s- entities, spirits slash demons, however you want to call them, mm-hmm. that just exist. They like their bodies are huge but invisible, and there are a select few humans who are able to talk to them. And two characters that were introduced to in Queen of the Damned are two twins, um, Maharet and I don't know how they pronounce her name in the audiobook. Is it Makar or Makare or Makare? I think it's I think it's Makare. I think it was. Okay. So yeah, two twin redhead headed sisters, um, Maharet and Makare, um, who are witches, and so they can like talk to these spirits and learn from them. And they say they're even though they lack morality, there are like you know good quote-unquote spirits and evil spirits Mm -hmm. and there's this one particular evil spirit who just wants attention and is jealous of the flesh is how they describe the evil spirits Mm -hmm. and who discovers that a it can like physically harm people just by itself and b that it likes the taste of blood Mm -hmm. human blood yeah they're Mm -hmm. kind of creeped out by that but they're just like you know the best thing to do with the spirit is to leave it the fuck alone (laughs) yeah yeah just don't mess with him yeah (laughs) don't talk to him Uh, don't look at him (laughs) But through a series of events that we may or may not touch on, um, you know, one of the sisters ends up like sicking that demon on the queen and king because they are horrible people who do horrible horrible. things to them. Uh, And one night while the king and queen are attacked by um, a coup in their kingdom, um, they're dying and bleeding out and the demon kind of uh, 
comes down and fuses itself with the queen whose name is akasha Mm -hmm. uh, and she becomes the first vampire and before Mm -hmm. she even realizes what she's done she turns her husband ankle the king Mm -hmm. and they become are the first and uh, second vampires and become essentially the queen and king of vampires yep it's fascinating i Mm -hmm. i really liked uh, when you're kind of talking about like the spirit realm of like, you know, good and bad or, you know, good and evil spirits, it made me think a lot of um, kind of like snippets from like the Salem witch kind of era where, you know, how they talked about how the the devils or the evil spirits would kind of pinch and prick and the, like, the girls who were saying they were being inflicted were like, mm-hmm. oh, it burns and I'm, I've got like scratches all over my body from these like other beings. And that's kind of what that felt like as far as that des- description goes for the evil spirits. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was also really cool where she she described, like, the good spirits. They could still – they. it's not that they were performing bad things, but if they were sad or upset because of something happening to the twins or something that was happening that they didn't really agree with, they could, like – make the wind get really strong or they could mm-hmm. start kind of like, you know, messing with the the things around them. But it was never really super aggressive because they just didn't have the strength to do any more than that. But they could kind of like rile things up to show that they were upset about something. So it was, it was kind of a cool little twist on kind of the witch factor, but also was rolled into the vampire factor. It was just very cool. I, I'd never seen it represented quite like that. Yeah, it was kind of like um, they kind of explain like you know supernatural phenomena mm-hmm. with the spirits because like they the with the evil ones which aren't so much evil because even they say they don't we use the term evil as a descriptor but they weren't evil like morally. right um, but they kind of like were the ones to experience more negative emotions we might say mm-hmm. so like you know the idea of poltergeists or hauntings yep. could be explained yep. with these uh, spirits and they say totally. that if you like you know entice them and interest them enough you might they you might get rain so like rain dances and rituals are kind of mm-hmm. explained and they say the spirits sometimes like the names of gods or like the rituals that humans perform and will try to do what they want them to do just for fun mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to like any identification with their beliefs or anything like that so yeah. they're just they lack the complexity of humans they're just very, very simple. It's like, entertain us and we might do something for you. And mm-hmm. if not, we just get bored and go away. Like yeah. when you said yeah. that they were upset that the witches were being attacked, you know, they were throwing things around and then they kind of wandered off because they got bored. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or just yeah. didn't have the energy to keep going. Yeah. Um, it, yeah. And it also kind of made me think of a lot of Japanese lore where there's some really random little demons and things out there that do really – like kind of dumb, pointless things like there's pillow monsters and like <laughs> like umbrella monsters and things like that in Japanese lore. And that kind of yeah, same kind of vibe where they're not malevolent, but they're not they're just kind of there and they just kind of do whatever they want. And they just, mm-hmm. you know, they interact or they don't. It, it was it was very interesting. I liked that. But yeah, the whole the whole story about the twin sisters, that's a huge recurring piece in Queen of the Damned, where, you know, their storyline is experienced by other vampires in the beginning of the story as kind of a weird dream sequence where they keep seeing this recurring dream, which is, is it a vision? Is it a dream? Like, what is it? But all the, like, a lot of the main character vampires are still seeing the same thing and don't know it yet. Um, They're, yeah, just really cool plot drives that she created while also mixing in 
more story building for, you know, how did they come to be? Yeah, it was, I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Kind of like it gives an explanation to the supernatural without fully explaining the supernatural. Mm-hmm. Just like, here's what we understood for the time, which was like 6,000 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And she's like, we still don't fully understand it, but, you know, someday in the future we might. And she kind Maybe. of explained how yeah. some things that they believed, you know, were later confirmed uh, in the future, in future centuries, or they still are not uh, fully understood. And she's like, mm-hmm. oh, well, it'll happen one day, or it won't. Or maybe not. I don't need yeah. the answers. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mahar, it's very interesting. And just had a, a very interesting view on like, you know, witches and their place in society, which is like our job was to entice the spirits to make the rain and, you know, ask them for advice on like the future or, you know, what the correct paths to take were. But we didn't utilize them to like, you know, cast spells or anything yeah. like that. I mean, like the worst thing they do is sick is uh, Makare six in quote unquote evil spirit on the wit and on the king and queen after their tribe is killed, they're kidnapped and they're raped in front of the kingdom. Yeah, and then yeah. set loose in the desert to die. Yeah. He's like, it's a little so, extreme. Yeah. It's a little extreme to do to them. And you know, her I say her response of just sending a demon to haunt them is fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I feel like it was a little merited, but you know yeah. Yeah. I did want to kind of touch on that too, the uh, another kind of cool piece of the description of when the queen is the first vampire ever created. Um, eventually, the queen and king of Egypt find the sisters and bring them back for a second round of horrible things, obviously, because why not stop at one? Um, yeah. And so when they bring them back again, they they say, like, what did you do? Explain what you did. This is your fault. And so then they kind of go into, okay, what did you experience when this happened to you? So they could try and understand what happened. And the queen describes that, you know, when the demon kind of fuses with her body she goes into the description of like what that felt like and what she saw and it it just was very very cool but then the husband didn't have the same experience because he was created by her and so instead of being infused directly with the demon like she was it was like passed like almost like a virus to him so it wasn't as an extreme or as an intense experience for him. And he said it was almost more blissful for him. So it was very, very cool. Like, what, what were your thoughts on that? Yeah, it just, it kind of goes to show how Akasha, the first vampire, is different yeah. than the other ones. And, you know, kind of like signifies her importance mm-hmm. as well. Um, because... A big thing that we learn is that as the original vampires, whatever fate befalls Akasha is going mm-hmm. to affect the rest of the vampires. Right. In fact, a big reason behind why Marius was kidnapped by druids um, is that a great suffering had happened to all the local uh, gods of the grove. They had all like burned in the daylight even though they were underground and mm-hmm. a lot had perished and those that were left were very weakened and like blackened husks of themselves. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, Marius, his creator makes him and sends him off to Egypt to like find out the answers as to what happened mm-hmm. only to find out that the caretakers of Akasha and Ankle, because Akasha and Ankle had at that point been about 4,000 years old mm-hmm. and had not moved for centuries, if not millennia. They were just mm-hmm. like, they, like went to like statues. hibernation almost. Yeah, uh, 
kind of like a catatonic state yeah. just entirely. And they had gotten frustrated with taking care of them. And so just like threw them in the sun. It's like, all right, you know, to hell with End it. it. Be done with it. <laughs> yeah. They were so old they survived. However, because the sun damages their body, all vampires in the world were burned. And if you were young or not strong, you burned up and died. And those mm. that were had the strength survived, but a lot of them wish they hadn't. Yeah. And so we learned that whatever befalls the mother and father, or more specifically, Akasha, mm-hmm. is going to affect the rest of the vampires. And so when she describes what happens to her, but her husband says something different, it kind of emphasizes that point that Akasha yep. is different. She is special. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very cool. I like that a lot. Um, it, it was kind of a bummer that you know, she was the one that experienced a very painful transition. But at the same time, I think she was the more, I think she was definitely the bigger instigator of getting that demon or that bad spirit kind of sicked on her in the first place. Like she was pretty twisted to begin with before she oh, yeah. turned. So I'm like, I can see why that would be the target. <laughs> Kasha is the more evil one. Yes. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. However, they didn't send the demon to them. They sent the uh Makari sent the demon to Cayman. Oh, that's because right. Because he was, the one who he was raped that them. raped them. Yeah. Yes. Even though but she he was, died he was, first. Yeah. She died first, yes. But also, mm-hmm. you could still blame it on Akasha because she's the one who ordered it to happen. Absolutely. Absolutely. She wanted them to be made a spectacle of. And so she made it all happen for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, definitely the instigator. <laughs> yeah. And also to kind of touch on our point of like Armand um, kind of embracing something. To make sense in the human brain, trying to make sense of things, even when you're given impossible information. Like, Makari and Maharet are abducted from their tribe, and their tribe is killed in, fr- uh, in front of them mm-hmm. because they are flesh eaters. They're cannibals. They eat their dead. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are brought before the king and queen, and they're just asked spiritual questions of, like, the gods. And tell us about these, about your powers and what you can do. And confirm for us these stories of the gods. And they're just like well, here's the truth, or as, as they understand the truth yeah. to be, to and kind of just challenge their whole worldview. And they can kind of sense in Akasha that even though she doesn't really believe in the gods, she can't really accept the full lack of information that they're providing. Yeah. Like, you know, we don't know what happens to humans after they die. We, you know, the gods aren't real. Yeah. Like, There's something out there, but they're not but what we you don't think know what it are. is. Yeah. We don't fully understand them. But here's an explanation of what they look like and what they do as far as we understand it. So, mm-hmm. and so when faced with that information, Akasha can't quite, doesn't want to grasp that. Right. They, they get the witches can read minds. So they can kind of, they can sense the struggle in her and sense the moment that she decides she's not going to believe it. She's going to double down yep. on her beliefs because yep. they work for her and punish the witches for daring to tell a different story yeah how dare you lie <laughs> yeah, yeah. How, how dare you try to persuade me away from my beliefs how dare you come in here and it's like even though you were brought here <laughs> against mm-hmm. your will mm-hmm. to yep. to do Twice. all this yeah yeah <laughs> yeah well like and the first time they're afraid of what will happen we you know with the spirits if they kill the witches so they're like to show you have no true power to our you know kingdom we're mm-hmm. just gonna like you know rape you in front of the whole court and send mm-hmm. you on your way. Yeah. And then, you know, the subsequent haunting and the vampirism happens. And so they bring them back and they're just like, explain to us what, what happened. happened. <laughs> yeah. 
And they tell them as best they can what they think happened. But again, mm-hmm. it challenges their worldview because they're like, we were chosen by the by gods our to become gods. this thing. We are yeah. now gods. And when they challenge them and say, no, you just kind of got possessed by a spirit and that's yeah. what you do now, they're like, nope, we're gods. Nope, definitely gods. Yeah. We're going like, to kill you tomorrow. <laughs> okay, bye. Uh. Okay, bye. Yeah. So then yeah. Um, they gouge the eyes out of uh, which Maharet. Maharet. And then the mm-hmm. other gets her tongue cut out. Yeah. Uh, it's really pleasant. It's really great. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then yeah. right after that, they turned Cayman, who was their rapist, but he was also, yeah. the, as I said, like a nice guy. He only did it because he was ordered to. Yeah. And I mean, like, what are you going to do? Yeah. He's, I mean, like, that doesn't fly today, but I mean, like, what was he going to do back then? He'd be just be killed and it would still happen. And somebody to them else anyway. would do it. Yeah. 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 Uh, and so he gets turned by the king and queen because they were told by the twins that the reason you're so thirsty and so desperate all the time is because there's only two of you and the thirst is so great. The you need s- to make spirit was one. so big. Mm-hmm. The only way to, like, tone the thirst down is to make more vampires they turned Cayman, who did not want this no and immediately is like you know what they made me do this thing they made me hunt you down even though i didn't want to and there he he blames them for the haunting of the spirit in his house and he's like you know what i'm fighting against them i'm gonna turn you two and we're gonna join forces and fight them. them yeah yeah so he makes them the fourth and fifth vampires and subsequently they end up getting captured the twins separated you know they sent mm-hmm. they're sent off in stone sarcophagi the king and queen are again afraid to kill them because they don't know what will happen if they yeah. kill other vampires nobody knows what's point. going on <laughs> yeah and so they just ship them off to like opposite ends of the world and the twins never see each other again mm-hmm. until no. <laughs> until um, yeah. until <laughs> yeah uh spoiler um yeah so it's just a very interesting take on a vampire mythos and how it all starts and yeah just how one person one evil person yeah just couldn't accept a different interpretation of the world mm-hmm. which is you know very common in a lot of things we see <laughs> when people don't want to believe the facts that are put right in front of them and they just make shit up <laughs> It's almost Wait, like it's the what? human condition. Almost yeah. like we've done that forever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. yeah. I mean, it's really good story building. It's really fascinating and really intricate. And she obviously put like Anne Rice put a lot of thought into it. And you can see that obviously there's several books after this where it just kind of keeps on going, you know. So there's a lot of thought that's gone into this. Um I did want to touch on a couple more things just so that we can segue into the movie because otherwise it will not make sense. Yeah. <laughs> There's so much other stuff because we're covering two books, so we'll try not to bore you too much, my friends. But um, kind of a, a more important piece that kind of ties the two books together is um, Lestat, when he first meets Akasha, she is in her kind of statue dormant state. I don't know how we want to call them. Like they catatonic. don't catatonic. We'll just say it's, catatonic. Yeah, catatonic yeah. state. So she she looks like a vampire, but she's completely immobile. She's not moving. They don't feed anymore. I mean, they literally just stand there like statues, but they look like lifelike. They're just not moving. And so when he first sees her, he uh, does his cute little ditty on a violin that was Nikki's violin. And mm-hmm. then was, Nikki was yeah. Mm, yeah. Oh, poor Nikki. I know. It was a tragedy from the, be- from the beginning. Um, he does his little ditty on a violin. And then voila, she starts to actually move and wake up. And so this is a really big deal because it's been thousands of years 
since she's moved or done anything, right? So mm-hmm. it's a very big deal. And then eventually, I can't remember how they do it in the book, Dean Julia. Like, did she like mind tell him to drink from her or did he just do it? I can't remember how they kind of segued into that. So it's kind of implied, especially in Queen of the Damned, that um, Akasha has some pretty strong mental influence mm-hmm. powers. So yeah. um, it's hard to say for sure. Mm-hmm. But in the book, she physically gets up from her throne and approaches him. That's and right. And she's like mimicking the tune of the violin. She's kind of going doing an ooh mm-hmm. kind of sound with her mouth. And I think she just kind of like, you know, poses for an embrace for him and it would just kind of like as much of an Invite. invitation as you can yeah. get. Yeah. And uh, Marius, who is the keeper of the mm-hmm. two, of the two, he calls he refers to them as those who must be kept. He had already promised Lestat that, like, if she'll allow it, you know, you can drink from her and get some of her power because she's a very powerful vampire. Mm-hmm. When vampires feed on older vampires, they can sometimes gain powers. Um, and so Lestat had already kind of been thinking that way. And so, oh, here she is embracing me. So I think he just accepted the invoca- invitation as opposed yeah. to being told by her to drink i don't think she talks to him uh and yeah in that no time. i don't think so not at that yeah. time mm-hmm. yeah and ankle's not happy with that he moves too and yeah <laughs> hubby tries to gets destroy. cranky yeah. yeah tries to destroy lestat but luckily marius is there to stop it and yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah so uh-huh. it's a big deal because lestat just by you know being Lestat, doing what he wants, because Marius awesome says, oh, yeah, I'll take you down to the crypt tomorrow night. You know, you can drink from her if she'll allow it. And, you know, we'll kind of go from there. But no, Lestat has to, like, go down when Marius isn't there and just yeah. play a violin or... to see what will happen. <laughs> and, you know, almost yeah. gets killed, which is Lestat's style. <laughs> yep, that checks out. He's yeah. like, I'm just going to wing it and see what happens, is everything mm-hmm. he does. It's like, I don't um, know what will happen if she hears a violin. Let's see. <laughs> or let's she likes it. <laughs> she wants a hug. Let's see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah, so that's a yeah. Hubby not happy. Um, Mm -hmm. but don't worry, because then wifey Pooh Akasha is like, "Mm, "You're done," and she eventually kills him, and then it's just her. But at that point, she is fully awake. She comes Mm. back from her catatonic state, and that's where we kind of wakes her up. Yeah. (laughs) Oh yeah, yeah. Let's talk about it, Julie. What wakes her up? Yeah. So um. In both the beginning and the end of the vampire Lestat, because he kind of bookends it with the modern times, mm-hmm. uh, Lestat wakes up, um, he goes to sleep in the earth, which vampires sometimes do if they're bored of life. Um, <laughs> I'm bored of people sleep in a dirt bath for Bored a while. or very <laughs> depressed. Yeah, they'll go take a dirt nap for a bit. After the events of the va- uh, interview with the vampire, he takes a nap for like about 50, 60 years and wakes up because he hears glorious music. Because it's his 80s glam rock and decides he wants to be a rock star. As you do. As you do. (laughs) And he makes a rock album as the lead singer full of lyrics referring to his life, the children of darkness, you know, the the satanic vampire coven, Mm -hmm. all the secrets that Marius told him, expressly told him, do not tell anybody this. Remember this thing where I said (laughs) you have to keep it a secret from everyone and then he broadcasted it around the world and the 80s when that was possible? (laughs) That. And way to listen, Lestat. He's like shouting Akasha and Ankle's name and telling vampire history to anyone who will listen. And most everyone just accepts it as like, you know, a... He's just quirky. Uh, <laughs> a, a fantasy like sequel and that he's a guy who like embraced Lestat as a character to reenact. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a stage name. Yeah. Yeah. 
but all the vampires know. Um, mm-hmm. And Marius, as the keeper of you know Akasha and Ankle, he like he likes uh, to like decorate the place that they're in, kind of keep it lively, uh, bring in modern things for them to like keep in their eyesight to hopefully like entice them. And at this point in the eighties, he had brought televisions down. Uh, to their sanctuary and a lot of the televisions were blaring the music videos for Lestat's music yeah and so Lestat again with his music awakens Akasha only now she's not just like a moving statue of like ooh, I like this embrace me and kiss no she's like awake now Mm -hmm. yeah and her first act of being awake awake is to drain Bye bye, hubby. Her husband, and, and to the point of like he's nothing anymore. He's like the way they describe it is really cool. Like his skin becomes transparent, mm-hmm. and as soon as like Marius touches him, I think he collapsed like a husk. Yeah, uh, yeah. She just like, really literally cool. like just took a straw to him and sucked him dry, which is pretty mm-hmm. cool. Yep, and sucks for she... him. Cool for descriptions. <laughs> <laughs> and then when she uh, finally talks to Marius, she mimics a conversation that he had had with a mortal like right before coming back to their abode to kind of like show him that she sees and hears everything Everything. which is like to make you just like immediately terrified of like her level of power yeah because she's conscious that whole time just not moving they're they're not just catatonic she is like her brain is out in the world experiencing things oh that's right yeah so she can have like uh uh, an out astro- of body experience. A- like a, yeah, like astral yeah. projection almost, where she's mm-hmm. like able to like float around without ever physically moving her body and is retaining yeah. all this information and seeing what's going on. And you know those thousands of years that she's just kind of zoned out in her body world. Um, yeah, creepy as all hell. Um, and mm-hmm. also, I just cannot imagine living like that. I, yeah, yeah, when that first sees her, he's horrified. I, by yeah, the I would be. Yeah, yeah just because just you think about it, you're like, oh, are they alive in there? You're like, oh yeah, I'm pretty sure. It's like, so they just stand there every day and don't they don't feed, they don't talk, they don't move, they just stand there. For and I would I would for years. thousands of years mm-hmm. in a room, and I think that even Marius comments at some points like they'll kind of like day to day or like month to month they'll have moved slightly in the mm-hmm. room and he puts them back where they were so it's like this never ending like they can never leave it sounds so awful mm-hmm. um yeah what what a way to quote unquote live like yeah. that woof that would be yeah. kind of abysmal and with her specifically with her brain like floating around the world she said she would like inhabit bodies with people and kind of mm-hmm. live their life with them and experience mortal lives so That's when one way she, to escape yeah so when she like awakens she claims to have all this experience and knowledge of the world was like you're still interpreting it through your very specific lens right though. right you're interpreting yeah. this from a four what just six thousand year old six thousand at this yeah point. so yeah. you're you're this is your six thousand year old lens that you're interpreting all of this even mm-hmm. though you're experiencing it in the real you're processing it from a six thousand year old person's perspective so it's yeah. very very different than yeah the like we've been present day mindset yeah. yeah, we've been saying Egypt, but their kingdom predates Egypt. Even. Yeah, before so. it was called Egypt. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. So with that in mind, with her interpreting, you know, modern standards through an ancient lens, what do you make of her plan for the Earth, Erin? Like, what is her plan <laughs> now that she's woken up? Is she just going to like, you know, hang out with everyone? Like, hey, guys, I'm awake now. Of course mm- not, Julie. No. Because we need more <laughs> turmoil. Obviously, there's not enough turmoil going on in this story. Um, no, my friends. She ends up deciding that 
there's too much bad in the world, and it's all because of, you guessed it, the men. (laughs) (laughs) She's fighting the feminist agenda, (laughs) y'all. So she's convinced that the reason there's evil and starvation and war and disease in the world is because men are corrupt and we need to basically eradicate a large portion of the population of men to start over. Mm-hmm. So we need to have a massive cleanse of, I think she said like 1% of the men would stay alive or something. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So that's her grand scheme, and she brings in poor little Lestat to be like, you're beautiful, you're my angel of death, and you're going to help me do this. Um, So help me gosh. So it's a really bang-up scheme, Julie. I think it has Mm -hmm. a lot to be said for it. Yeah, it's feminist agenda. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. She is the feminist agenda that most men are f- afraid of, are terrified of. Yeah, will like rise up and kill them one day. <laughs> well, uh, when I become six thousand years old and wake out of my catatonic state, that would be my plan. I think too. If I had yeah. to sit there for six thousand years and watch guys just be guys for six thousand years, I might get to that conclusion as well. Yeah, and it's like you, it's like. You're not wrong, but that does not mean you are correct. That's not justified, but I yeah, get where yeah. you're coming from. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And it's just funny. Well, it's like her plan is horrifying. And as like, you know, yes. they describe, like, they're not just killing men as in adults. They're killing like children Male and infants. Male people. Yeah. Yes. Doesn't matter what old like, age you are. Mm-hmm. As, as someone who is like, you know, the, the wife of a man and the mother of a human boy and about to give birth to another boy, just like reading this plan all over again, which is horrifying to me. Yeah. Yeah. And just like her, her saying that, you know, men are responsible for like all the violence and all the rage and the rape and the blah, blah, blah. And it's mm-hmm. like a... Women can be just as violent. Just because they don't do it doesn't mean they won't do it. Yeah, exactly. Just because you eliminate men, it does just, not get rid of violence. It opens the opportunities for women to do it now. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. And also, it's like that's a pretty high horse you're taking, Your Majesty. After you were, even what though you, you personally did. didn't do the things, you ordered the destruction of a village. You ordered the rape of, of two, two powerful women, and then disfigured yeah. them, and disfigured them. Yeah, and yeah. like separated them, like unleashed horrible trauma on their lives mm-hmm. for no reason yep. other than you were upset at them. Yeah, uh, and uh, you know, as a vampire, and like you know unleashing this plan on like you know uh, small uh, towns throughout the world small impoverished towns like mm-hmm. like i said she kind of has some mental manipulation powers and so she yes. whips the women up into a frenzy to murder all the men in these small yeah. villages and also and- gets lestat in on it because she get she dopes him up on her blood right and then he mm-hmm. just goes into mm-hmm. this crazy frenzy and helps and, and, he, and he can feel himself being manipulated but he can't help it either. he can't help it mm-hmm. uh yeah and- it's wild yeah, and and like just watching it all happen is like, look at all this violence. So you're inspiring them to do it, and they are doing the violence. It's like, but so it's your justified, Julie. Is immediately <laughs> is immediately null. <laughs> but Julie, think of the men. They're just really not a good fit for the universe. So we should just yeah. nix them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course. Like you know, 
education and like reinterpretation of morals is not the way to go. Obviously. Oh yeah, yeah, just, totally. Just kill everybody and start just over. just massacre them and <laughs> yeah. start fresh because that after, always works. <laughs> after a few centuries of a female-dominated society, maybe the men can come back, but not before. <laughs> maybe that's a big maybe because that doesn't yeah. line with the feminist agenda. So, uh, yeah, it's pretty twisted. Um, again, you know, you see. Um, Akasha's character once again take her mindset and rationalize an explanation or so, like I'm going to do this because this is how I view it and mm-hmm. everybody else is wrong and she does that over and over and over and you're like girlfriend you need a new hobby <laughs> like this is not working yeah. well it's like it goes to show because like when Mahara and Makari like tell her like no here's you know, the actual truth or the truth as we understand mm-hmm. it um, in both circumstances, both pre and post vampire conversion. Mm-hmm. And then she just doubles down on what she wants to do on her beliefs later on when all the other vampires uh, have gathered to kind of tell the story of the creation of vampirism and, you know, what they hope to do with Akasha since like she as the first mother vampire, they can't just kill they her without kill killing her. themselves. Yeah. Um, when she comes to them and is like, you know, all right, I'm here to recruit you to be my angels for this cause. Not a single one of them is on her side. And even Lestat, because she can is his mind, fighting it. is fighting it and he's not on her side. He says he loves her and like, you know, is just like, stop, please stop. I feel stop. like he's like, just doped up, though. I think a lot of it is like yeah. he's power hungry for her blood because she keeps like doping him. So mm-hmm. I feel like it's a very conflicted kind of mind game on top of actual mind games that she can yeah. kind of manipulate with him as well so he's well, like since he doesn't really against know her, a lot like she, like she kidnaps him like after she's awake and like that's mm-hmm. their first like real interaction with each other i think he loved the idea of her and like yes. the mystery and romance yes. of it all and the, and the power her. and the feelings and yeah. yeah but anyway it's like even him as her closest ally is not on her side and you can see the moment that she decides that well, if I have none of you on my side, I will just destroy all of you. Yep. And go from there. Because what are y'all going to do? Kill me? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And the answer to that is yes. Yes. In fact, yes. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So then this is kind of like we're going to do like a mad dash to the finish here so that we're not boring Mm -hmm. everybody. Because we could talk about this forever. But in (laughs) for Queen of the Damned. I have another question for you after this before we get to the movie. Oh, yeah. Just to sit For sure. We'll get there. So, yeah, yeah. In the kind of like. The whole format of Queen of the Damned, of like the characters that are involved, it is kind of anthology-esque to start where there's multiple characters that are experiencing like the dreams at the same time, but they're not connected in the storyline. And then eventually it does this kind of merging towards the end where they all come together to basically try to stop Akasha from um, creating a massacre. And so some of them are vampires. Some of them are humans who become vampires. Um, then there's the, also the the two witch sisters eventually come back into play. So there's a lot of people that everything kind of merges. And the ending is kind of a crazy bang up finish. So Akasha's like, yeah, well, if you're not going to help me, then bye. And then mystery sister who we haven't seen for 6,000 years pops out of the bushes. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> yeah, and she's there mir- miraculously, and is like she can't talk. She's got a, no tongue in her m- head, so she's she, also kind of crazy too, which is really creepy. And mm-hmm. she comes, and then they all kind of tag team and decapitate Akasha, and then they, um, in kind of bringing it back to the ritualistic ceremony that the sisters did in the beginning, they 
eat her brain and they eat her heart as part of the ceremony. And I believe it's the heart that kind of carries the demonic. It was the brain. It was the I brain. Think. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah. Right. Because Egyptian mythology, they believe the heart is where the soul is and the sisters believed it was the brain. Mm-hmm. So the brain ends up basically being the catalyst for that demonic power, like the origin of demonic power. So one of the sisters eats the brain and she becomes the new queen of the damned, which is what Akasha was before they nixed her. Mm-hmm. Very, very interesting. Survive. Yes. Yeah. And so everybody survives. You're like, yeah, plot twist. Woo. So it's wild, <laughs> wild. And you're like, where is this going? Yeah. <laughs> Crazy end. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, the end. So before we jump into the movie, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, what did you think of the introduction of the Talamasca mm. and the character we we learn about it from Jesse? Yes, great question. So Talamasca is this kind of supernatural academic you know, society. Academic society, yeah, that's a good way mm-hmm. to put it. And they're based in London for the most part. I think they're global, but their hub is in London. And Jesse is a character introduced in Queen of the Damned that becomes part of that organization when she's older. But it sounds like she had ties early on in her childhood but couldn't put the pieces together because her memory was spotty. And then it turns out she's actually in the same bloodline as um, Maharet. And so she has this bloodline this whole time and actually had Maharet as her, she thought, was her aunt. But in reality, it you know, Maharet kind of put herself in to the position to, to stay with her family to protect the bloodline. So she kept kind of reinventing herself as the aunt <laughs> over and over mm-hmm. and over again. Everyone knows about Aunt Maharet. <laughs> yes, Aunt Maharet. I do love that name. I think that's probably one of my favorite names that came out of the book. But um, – mm-hmm. Yeah, Jesse's character is interesting. I I I liked the in, the, the the again more lore that came out of Maharet and how Jesse kind of played a part in that. So then we we kind of learned that there's a whole family tree that dates back 6000 years that the family has been just building over the centuries and it's you know it's been digitized when it used to be drawn out and now it's digital because it's 80s and so they've kind of morphed it over the centuries and Maharet is responsible for kind of keeping that going and protecting her family line but Jesse I feel like is just really kind of a pawn that gets kind of shoved around and I, I didn't feel like she had much drive besides having a weird obsession with Lestat. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, it's like she's she's not an important, like, quote-unquote, character. Mm-hmm. She's just someone who's living a life. Yeah. Which is fine. Yeah. And, I mean, that's kind of her point in the story is, like, she's a member of this great family with, like, really weird origins thousands mm-hmm. of years old. But, you know, here she is just living her life. And it turns out she has, like, the witch powers that her many, many, many times great-grandmother uh, Maharet had. Mm-hmm. But as they kind of – as Maharet even says, those powers, you know, were useful back in ancient times. But these days eh, – Not so much. just kind of ignore it and it's not – pretty it's not very important and in -hmm. fact when she when maharet learns that jesse is joining this talamasca group because of her powers she can talk to ghosts and whatnot Mm -hmm. uh she was like listen the talamasca they you know i admire their efforts in the past for like you know getting accused witches out of towns and whatnot but ultimately Mm -hmm. the study of the supernatural is pretty pointless and useless and you shouldn't do it because you've got better prospects in the world yeah and Uh, she did it anyway (laughs) 
Yeah, she did it anyway. Because I mean, like, if you have the chance to, like, you know, join a super secret society who studies, you know, demons all day, heck, I'll join. I <laughs> would join. That'd be right? fascinating. That'd be so <laughs> cool. Uh, <laughs> Sign me up. Yeah. And so, you know, by doing that, um, she becomes a part of something like, you know, ooh, cool and mysterious. And also she learns that vampires are real and she's kind of sent on a mission to, you know, find the quote unquote proof um, listed in the v- interview with the vampire, which is like an actual book in the universe. Yeah. Like it was yeah. And then published. Lestat's written a book too in the universe. Yeah. So they're using mm-hmm. all this as actual source material to be like, this is actually real, real and we're going to prove it. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of cool. It's and, very meta. <laughs> yeah. And so she does. And, but, and with that, she becomes obsessed with the vampire Lestat also mm-hmm. because he's real. And she decides that if she really wants to believe that this is all real, she needs to physically see Lestat and see well, and that this is he's famous real. too so it's actually yeah. possible to do because you just go to one of his concerts and that's exactly mm-hmm. what she does yeah uh-huh. and also like she's um reinterpreting events in her own past with her aunt Maharet mm-hmm. and you know the other as we come to find out vampires in her presence like male and mm-hmm. uh Eric and so on and her realizing that vampires have been a part of her life her whole her entire her whole, life. Her whole life if she decides she believes this and it isn't until she's at the concert and like like a groupie throws herself on stage and throws herself at Lestat and realizes he his skin is white he's very cold he's like sweating blood this is real mm-hmm. and uh almost immediately gets attacked by another vampire because they discover she's telling Masca and yeah. is dying and is has to be turned by her great aunt into yep. a as <laughs> into do. a vampire and becomes a new vampire. No one's yeah. safe. Um yeah, and she also kind of puts two and two together where she's like, oh my God, so he's got all these characteristics that obviously make him a vampire. He's not human. And then she ties that back to all the people that were in her childhood. Like they were the exact same way. And so she starts piecing those things together with kind of um, you know, kind of scattered memories from her childhood. It, it's a very interesting line. I don't think it was technically necessary because Maharet, it really is the main drive of like bringing the historical information in and then why she is so important in this whole kind of schematic. Mm-hmm. But it, it was a cool, a cool character to kind of weave in there. But then she turns into a vampire and she's like, okay, now you're like everybody else. Woo. Yeah, <laughs> like, I'm here now. Ta-da! <laughs> but her her obsession in, with Lestat is very much one of interest and proof. Yes. He is the ultimate proof for what she needs to understand. Right. Because they have um, the most do- like recent documentation and he actually can like correlate and put the two together to actually prove that it's it's real. Yeah. Um yeah. And he's the most tangible vampire that she can get a hold of. <laughs> yep. Like, I know where he'll be. I know where he is. We're gonna I'm going there. Uh-huh. And she even calls up the telemask and says, hey, I know this is against our rules, but... I'm doing it. I'm doing it. Bye. <laughs> okay, bye. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and then I'm just going to drop in here really quick. Um, interview from the interview of the vampire. The guy who does the interview is Daniel. Mm-hmm. Fun fact, he got turned into a vampire by our lovely Armand. So he's yeah. also in there just randomly being a mopey little vampire as you do. So there's a yeah. lot of like people who are like, oh, you were human? Not anymore. <laughs> so... <laughs> Like a, a literal days old vampire. Yes, he is, he is yeah. brand spanking new, and he's mm-hmm. very much a throwaway character. But you're like, oh, bless you. Moving on. Yeah. Uh, and also, yeah. like Akash, before she goes on her like man killing rampage, decides to burn up like all the other vampires in the world except for the ones that she thinks that uh, either that either she thinks Lestat 
loves and wants to have around or right. the ones that uh, are too powerful for her to destroy, like Cayman and Maca- The Maharet old ones. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. So she does a quick little cleanse, as you do. She's really big on cleanses. I feel like she should have just done like a juice cleanse. That might have helped a little bit more, you know? know. <laughs> just do a juice uh, cleanse. <laughs> yeah. So now there are much, 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 much fewer vampires in the world. Like mm-hmm. pretty much all the characters we're introduced to, those are the survivors. Yep. So it's looking grim for the populace. All right. Any final thoughts before we jump into the film? Uh, anything I'd want to bring up because of what's in the film? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't worry. The books will come back because we're going to have to compare. Oh, yeah, we will. We'll have to compare them. <laughs> but to make the like our hatred of the film make sense. Uh, no, I think... Uh, <laughs> I think that's pretty much it. <laughs> All right. All right, Julie, yeah. let's do it. So we're going to switch tracks. Uh, let's talk yeah. about the film. Okay. All right. I'll do a little synopsis here, and then we'll dive into that bad boy. Mm-hmm. So Queen of the Damned follows the legendary vampire Lestat, played by Stuart Townsend, who has reinvented himself as a rock star in the contemporary American music scene. His music wakes Akasha, played by Aaliyah, the queen of all vampires, inspires her desire to make Lestat her king. Akasha's malevolent power is so great that all of the immortal vampires must stand against her if they want to survive. Meanwhile, a young London woman with a fascination for the dark side, played by Marguerite Moreau, falls in love with Lestat. <laughs> Okay. Um, I love that they don't even say her name. That's Jesse that they're referring yeah, just to. A young, a young London, London woman. woman. <laughs> uh, I, I tried to watch this movie just with, all right, I haven't read the books and let's just see the movie itself. And I think our husband summed it up the best because we watched it with them and they yeah. haven't read the books. They were like, I'm so confused <laughs> by what I just watched. <laughs> You and me both, sugar. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like we did read the books, and we're confused. And we were we lost. Watched. I know. And there was so much content to pull from, and it didn't matter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> God. Yeah. Okay. It's like with, with, people can get frustrated with movie studios like breaking up books into multiple movies, but it's when you shove multiple books into a movie that is when it fails the most, I think. It's like... Um, yeah. yeah. A really good example as well, the Dark Tower series. <laughs> I refuse to watch that on principle. Oh my God, Julie, no. You need to watch it. I need to watch it no. with you. It's so bad. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, well, that's a whole other topic. But yeah, yeah, I agree. I think, you know, there's things like The Hobbit where it could have been a standalone movie and then they made three out of it. You're like, really, guys? Really? But then there's stuff like this where they had two very densely packed books and they smashed it all into one sad little thing of a film. And you're like, I don't like it. Take it back. Mm -hmm. (laughs) To the point where you told neither of the stories well. I know. It is very rough. Um, I mean, okay, so... But Let's even start the story by itself. Yeah, it's yeah, it's, it just didn't confused. make sense. It was mm-hmm. so fast, bad transitions. It it just wasn't smooth. They tried to put too many things in there with zero explanation. And even if you had like we were saying like if you had the background from the books, it they they didn't render it in a way that would have even made sense with the book context because they changed enough that you're like what is happening? Like <laughs> Oh, lordy pants. Um, I hadn't mm-hmm. seen it since it first came out, and I obviously had not read the books yet. 
and I did not remember a single thing from it. <laughs> so re-watching it with having the books in my head, I was like, oh God. <laughs> not only did I not remember anything or have anything stick for the first time, but I still don't understand what's happening and I have the full scope. <laughs> What were your thoughts, Julie? <laughs> so this movie came out like a year or two before I started reading the books. And mm-hmm. so I had seen the interview with the vampire, liked it, read the book, and then, you know, read the rest of the series and like, mm-hmm. oh, you know, oh, the Queen of the Damned. Oh, they made another movie. I'll watch that. <clears throat> and I just, yeah, I was a teenager and the, with, you know, the teenager response usually to like an adaptation is unless it's perfect or really good in its own right. You it's just horrible. Hate it. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember just hating it. I couldn't tell you like a lot, whole lot about it other than like I hated it because mm. it wasn't a good in- interpretation. So when I rewatched it, it's like, all right, I don't hate this. Let's just watch it and it, appreciate it for what it, it is. Yeah. And no, it's still awful. <laughs> it's still awful. Oh, man alive. Okay. Well, let's try to find some positives first. All right. <laughs> Um, my one positive that I will stand by for this film is the soundtrack is wicked good. Oh, and yeah. it's, if you grew up in like as a teenager in like the early aughts, you're gonna love the soundtrack. Yeah, like <laughs> Slipknot and um, Dep- uh, is it uh, Depeche Mode and like not Depeche Mode, not Depeche Mode. So. Um, uh, oh god, Corn. <laughs> there's Marilyn yeah. Manson. I mean, yeah, uh, yeah. There's all those uh, kind of Deftones. Uh, Deftones. That that's like it. not the all those kind mode. of artists. That's the th- uh, uh, music they're going for. Oh, it's glorious! It's yeah. so good. New metal, and all the new way. metal, and they have um, kind of woven it in where Lestat's singing voice is, you know, Corn or something like, or Marilyn mm-hmm. Manson, where he his music videos and him on stage is like these actual professional singers. And so, if that's your niche of music, Chef's Kiss. It's great. The soundtrack is wonderful. Yeah, it's fun. Uh, yeah. Another positive thing, I'll say all the vampires, all the actors playing vampires, looked like they were having lots of fun. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you say that, Julie? Oh, my God. So this is like, we were talking about like when this movie was made, which was 2002, Two. Mm-hmm. Uh, which was right when there was like a big vampire boom. It was like mm-hmm. uh, Blade and Blade 2 had come out. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dracula 2000 had come out. Mm-hmm. And so as this movie kind of did the generic vampire interpretation of everyone, looks like they're stepping out of the Matrix, all leather and bondage and material. And Blade, yep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and everyone is going... <laughs> Bear your little teeth. Tiger growls of looping <laughs> through the air and Dementor roads and, and bad CG and bad CG and like all the eye makeup, all like, the you know, cheekbones. Oh, I wonder. Oh look, Jessie's become a vampire. How can you tell? Because she's got raccoon eyes now and a big trench coat that's made of black leather. <laughs> big trench coat. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the costuming was so early aughts. I mean, I will say I was. I was really vibing with how ridiculous early aught culture was, and it always brings such a weird joy to my heart to see early aught stuff. Um, I will say that was pretty hilarious, and I loved that. Um, And the sound effects and the CG of the time, it's like, you know, yes, it's dated, but it was was not meant to be funny, but man, was it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Very, very classic early aught vampires. Oh, yeah. So if that's your vibe, like, you can get a lot of fun out of watching everyone just, like, bare their fangs and, like... (laughs) 
<laughs> like cats at each other. <laughs> and being really saucy and having like a lot of uh, mesh and leather and latex and smoky eye, which is a little bit too intensely smoky, mm. <laughs> and epic cheekbones. <laughs> And the, the eyeliner highlights, too, which we were yep, commenting the on. the little like, highlights in the corners, corners of the eye. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was very dramatic makeup. I will say, though, um, the contacts that some of the vampires had were quite beautiful. And it was kind of a cool, like, when Lestat goes into a, a bloodlust from feeding off of Akasha, they change his eyes to be, like, really big black, like, sclera pupil contacts with a red rim. So it's like it looks bloodshot, but like very animalistic because the pupil's been dilated or looks mm-hmm. to be dilated. So there were some cool things about it. And I think that Akasha herself had like blue or really bright green, like turquoisey contacts. So it was it popped because mm-hmm. she's um she's a little bit darker skin, so you can see the colored contrast. It was pretty cool. Well, not only is she like naturally a darker colored skin, but mm-hmm. they did something to her where she, half the time she, she looked like looked bronze bronzed. or gold even. Yeah, so she was yeah. sparkly, which was kind yeah. of a funny little – that I commented a lot that a lot of like the very pale um, boo-boo faces of the men and their cheekbones made me think of Twilight a lot. Yes. <laughs> which Twilight we was 2008, so that was later. Stephanie Meyer must have really loved this movie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It was a lot of inspiration. I was just like, oh, God, so many Twilight references, but just different clothing style. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, a lot of influence from uh, from Queen of the Damned to Um, Twilight, I think. (laughs) And definitely early vibes of Blade. But I tell you what, Blade was so different. Like the, the clothing aesthetic and, again, kind of the soundtrack vibe and just the comic book vibe, I guess you could say, because Blade really was based off of a graphic novel, Mm -hmm. but... It made more sense with Blade, and they tried to use that same aesthetic in this and just really just kind of fell on their face. Like, I love Blade. It is really – it's not campy, but it is definitely kind of a cult classic-y vibe, but in a good way. And this was, like, their attempt at it. Well, like, also, I think The Matrix came out around 99, and it was a very similar vibe as far as clothing goes. So I think just, like, whenever you're interpreting an underground scene, whether it's vampires or computer geeks, leather. Leather and latex. (laughs) Leather and gothic. Go for it. Yep, exactly. And I think, yeah, because it was – Blade was 98 – um, Matrix was 99 and then Blade 2 was also 2002 and this came out 2002 so they were like riding that mm-hmm. wave I think yeah um, yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what oh. did you think of the interpretation of Akasha and like her statue face <laughs> <laughs> so yeah we're talking about her, like her catatonic state so they went very literal and made her a legit statue. So she looked like she was made of marble. And that was including her clothing, her skin, her hair, everything, her eyes. She looked like a marble statue. Yeah. It was an we, interesting take. <laughs> yeah, we just got done explaining how her skin looks bronze and gold. And we don't when mean she's that, alive. That she looked like a bronze and gold marble statue. No. no, no. Holy white. White. Entirely white. Yeah. From clothing to hair to skin to yeah. eyes entirely. Mm-hmm. She looked like a marble white. statue. Yeah. It yeah. Like, it okay. <laughs> was interesting. I mean, they really, I think they just kind of went a, a, an actual literal statuesque version mm-hmm. of it, which is not, I don't think it's a bad thing, but well, it, it just didn't really make sense. You know? If it was just the vampire, I could get it. 
Yeah, but the clothing but too. Her clothes changed yeah. too, and it, and it makes yeah. sense of like, oh, Marius dressed her up in like marble clothing to match the aesthetic. No, because when she awakens and she looks She's more alive fine. and like herself, her clothes have changed too. Yep. And not to say she changed her clothes. No, the clothes she was wearing are suddenly colorful and met- yep. metal and everything yep. too. It's like, yep. so vampire powers affect clothes. Apparently. Good to know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, Akasha's design, I mean, I don't like to speak ill of the dead. For those who don't know, Aaliyah, who played her, was an R&B artist, and she sadly did pass away uh, a year before the film was released. So there were definitely parts that I think were rushed because they were not planning on her not being available to finish the film. So there were definitely, I felt like, some rushed parts to kind of cram her in there for when they did have her there. Um I don't like to speak ill of the dead. However, the writing for her was very, very unfortunate. She's the really the only person of color in this film. And she's just such like a token character for having like for being a very important character in the books. She's really just kind of this throwaway character who just looks really, really pretty and like just kind of like weirdly walk like an Egyptian sachets everywhere. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like It was just very exoticized and not really a good representation and she is literally the only BIPOC person in the entire film so it's like very fetishism I felt with her exoticized and sexualized very much so it's like okay first off not only is she like you know an important character in the book she's the titular character of the movie yes exactly yeah (laughs) and uh, like she awakens halfway through it yeah like yeah what it's like get rid of it's like either move your focus from Lestat to be about her or make the movie about Lestat. Right. Don't do her both. Her in it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was like, don't try to do both here. But they did. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. And so she just, and you know, she's a, an ancient queen and an ancient vampire. And yeah, she's just like sachet wiggles her hips everywhere. And is bar- she wearing goes, barely nothing. Sways her arms. Yeah. Know, like an Egyptian. Yeah, or like, you know, like a, an Egyptian. a belly dancer. Yeah. Yep. Blah, 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 blah. Yep. And of course, you know, just like you see on the cover for the movie, she's like wearing a bikini top everywhere. Like, you know, a mm-hmm. queen does, I guess. Well, and it's not <laughs> only a bikini. It's like a backless metal crop top. So it's yeah. just like suction to her boobs. And I'm like, man, they had some really good adhesive glue back in ancient Egypt. <laughs> like, <laughs> those vampires, Aaron, they control clothes. Those they can vampire just boobs <laughs> just suck that clothes right on there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's something. <laughs> yeah. The aesthetic was very early aughts, I will say, which that's not an excuse, but I can see like they're like, we want it to be sexy and sultry. But again, it goes back to they really um, like eroticized, fetishized, sexicized her, her All the character. Eyes. All the eyes. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not fond of it. And she really wasn't like her character just had so little drive and zero explanation for what mm-hmm. her actual like purpose was. Yeah, she goes through, like, a murder spree once off camera. Like, yeah. Lestat just kind of wakes up to a bunch of dead mortals. And what's her explanation, Erin? <laughs> As uh, to why she did what she did? They weren't believers, Julie. <laughs> they believed in nothing. So they I believed in nothing. So, therefore, the dead skis. And she killed men and women. Yeah. Um, everybody. So, there was, there was no, like, like... No distinction. One genocide side. Um, yeah, it... Mm, 
Mm. Also, okay, so we're just going to jump into the comparison because it's yeah, really hard not to. Um, there's not much to discuss about God, that there's re- it the, the title was it. the same and Lestat <laughs> was in it. And that's where we're going to leave that. <laughs> yeah. Some people I've heard love to watch this purposefully as a bad movie. Oh, yeah. Like, this is I... no one's favorite like love movie, but it's like mm-hmm. a favorite to just like It's a cult on. classic yeah, yeah, in yeah, a bad yeah. way. In a bad way. Not like, that's a cult classic because it's secretly so good. It's like, no, no, no. no. It's just a bad vampire movie. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So, again, looking at comparison now, um, my favorite thing that came out of this was when you and I and our significant others were watching this. And um, your your boyo mentioned that I can't remember which vampire it was looked like Dio, <laughs> Cayman, Cayman and male because there's Dio one and Dio two. <laughs> oh my god, that I think yeah. was the best thing that came out of that movie for me, and that wasn't even about the movie. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, Dio's so like, in it, you guys. Did you know? I didn't know. <laughs> so we, we mentioned that like all the vampires in the books had like, come together to discuss like you know the history of the vampires and how to stop Akasha, and they sort of do that too in this book. As in, they come together and are just there, there with no explanation <laughs> no. and no name dropping. They don't name any of vampires. Them. We have to guess. Okay, we think that's Armand. And that must be Cayman. So that's male. And is that Pandora? And is that Armand? And yeah, I mean, oh boy. They didn't, they only named out of that kind of troop that comes into town, they only name um, Maharet. And Mm -hmm. everybody else, you just have to like extrapolate. They, no names whatsoever, but they're credited as their names. I looked it up. Yeah. They're credited, but they never say their names. And I'm like, that's just they have bad no writing. Lines. Yeah. Most of them don't. Yeah. Some of them do, but most don't. If they um, do, it's more like a, Wah! or yeah. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, man. No, nothing quotable. Oh, my yeah, God. It's like, yeah, that was pretty bad. And um, for being – for being an important character, as it turns out, like, because, you know, they they ditched the twin storyline altogether. Yep, uh, no Makari's twin sister. It, which yep. is like, you know, fine. You know, not everything has to be perfect and you're combining two books. But Maharet for making her the new queen of the damned, nothing. She's there in the beginning as kind of like a little tidbit of Jesse's history. And then she's there at the end with the mysterious group of unnamed vampires to mm-hmm. literally fight Akasha yeah. for... A reason that everyone decides they must do without giving a reason for why they must do it. Yeah, <laughs> sure. And <laughs> and that's it. Is like we get a little bit in the in in the beginning of just like you can't stay with me, child, uh, for oh, vampire no. reasons. For to, vampire we reasons. must stop Akasha for other vampire reasons. <laughs> and then she becomes the new queen of the dam, which means she is also suddenly a statue. Yeah, so she doesn't keep living. She turns in, back into the catatonic state and is now she she assumes the the role of queen of the because damned. I guess that is the that's the way that is the, it is the way uh, <laughs> that's what happens to the queen of the vampires is, is you just turn into that. Never mind that Maharet was already as old as Akasha. I know, and they make but whatever, a, and they make a call in the book that she is the one of the few oldest vampires who didn't go and have a, a dirt nap ever she stayed alive ever. and awake the entire time she was alive mm-hmm. so that's a really big distinction in the book and then they're like oh she's a statue now because she did the thing <laughs> yep <laughs> oh and then they like all the way that they kill akasha's they all like 
She's like, I don't need y'all. You suck. And they're like, what if we just attack you and suck you dry Mm -hmm. and you can't fight us off because reasons? (laughs) Yeah, like she has Lestat drink from her because he's like posing as being her. And he is fully on board with her and is in in love with her. Well, until the very end when Mm -hmm. she has him feed from him and she tells him to stop. But he keeps going. Mm -hmm. And I guess that little bit of him keeping going was enough to weaken her a little bit to where all the other vampires get the idea to all bite her at once. And then that's when she screams out, if you kill me, you all die. And it's like, ma'am, we have not established this fact as to why that is. And And then they keep going. Why are they attacking you? (laughs) Do they not believe it? Is it not true? I know. (laughs) Do they they know something you don't? I know. Yep, yep. So she's like, if you kill me, everyone dies. And they're like, let's think about that. Let's kill her. (laughs) They don't even think about it. They just keep going. They keep going. And then they end up killing her. And then no one dies. And you're like, wow. So that whole comment literally meant nothing. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. And Maharet becomes the new queen of the dam because she drank her last drop, which I guess is is the, the sign. Is how you do it, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> oh, lordy pants. Yeah. yeah. And, it, and when mm. she dies, she beca- she turns all like black and dusty and kind of like floats away. Yep. And then just and disintegrates. It's like, okay. We've seen what happens when you totally drain another vampire mm-hmm. because when Akasha woke up, she did that to her husband. Yeah. And we saw it in the movie and he was still like statuesque, yeah. still all white and in one piece just had like, you know, a chunk of his throat lipped out, which looked really cool. Honestly, mm-hmm. I did like that for yeah. like the three seconds we saw it. I know. But <laughs> I was like, you've established what happens when an ancient vampire is dead and then you didn't do that. <laughs> so, Julie, it's because she's special and she had hungry, hungry hippos all over her. So that's really why it did that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it was just, oh, lordy pants. And then, like, Pandora gets burst into flames. And then I mm-hmm. think Cayman, did Cayman got burst into flames. And we're like, what, what, what? None of them die <laughs> in the book. And you're like, what's happening? Mm-hmm. Um, and then Jesse doesn't get turned into a vampire until the very end by Lestat mm-hmm. because uh, Akasha tells him to because he's her boyo. Well, she tells him to kill her. Yes. Not turn her into a vampire. He That's does true. That he does Akasha that to save her. But it's like, and then they have a whole like love dynamic with Jesse and Lestat because he turned her and she's fascinated by him because he got pretty cheekbones. Well, they and they do it, that because her role was fulfilled by Louis in the book, and we can't have no homo in the movie, Erin. It's yeah, 2002. It's 2002. We can't do that. Yeah. Like, the whole yeah. Lestat being really into the violin and picking it up so easily, it's not because of his great love for Nikki uh, and, you know, his depression about his death and what mm-hmm. that means for him and, you know, reminiscing on their love. No, it's because he saw some random hot girl on a beach who was playing a violin. And he could do it That's better. get into it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Fun fact. Um, Yeah, right. And also, they completely merge Magnus and Marius's character, where Marius is actually his creator. Mm -hmm. And totally assassinate Marius. Totally assassinate his character, (laughs) where he's like, we can never be amongst the people. I can't be where the people are. You can't be the Little Mermaid. And so it's just (laughs) complete polar opposite 
of what Marius's character is. It really was a character assassination. And I will say the actor who played Marius, I believe that was um was that Mar was that uh Vincent Perez, I think it was. I think so. Sounds he is, <laughs> yeah, he's a French actor and his accent just made me giggle because I think he was using his French accent, but I think he was maybe trying to mask it or his like fake fangs were making him sound kind of weird. So I was like, what accent are we trying to go for? Because Marius is Roman and it's not French. It's not Roman. I don't know what it is, but it was hysterical and I loved it. Yeah. Um, it was just fluctuating. Just, I just don't. No. It's like Stuart Townsend starts the movie trying to do a French accent and half the movie just gives up. <laughs> <Stay> <laughs> He's Irish in real life, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not Irish, oh, but like, it's it, definitely it not every now and again. But yeah, halfway through the movie, he just gives up. Oh, stops. he so just like... totally gave up. Yeah. And his whole like sultry, smoky eye look was just so over the top. And he was just mm-hmm. like, I've got this sexy smile on my face with my fake French accent. And I've got these epic cheekbones and I'm wearing these crazy clothes. And it was just, oof, it was a lot. It was a lot. It was a lot. Uh, so it was all yeah. very sexy, but not in an actual sexy way. No, but in like early hey, aughts. We sexy. are trying so hard to be sexy. <laughs> Slapping Look you in the face. Look how sexy we are. <laughs> Look at all of our bare chests and butt capes and <laughs> smoky eyes. Butt oh, and capes. Look, look at me, Jesse, who's like randomly in love with Lestat for some reason. Uh, I want you to teach me how how it is to be a vampire. Let me like cut my boob and have you yeah have you drink from it and so and scandalous to show me what it is to be a vampire. And then when you actually kill me for Akasha, you, and you know don't bite my neck in the traditional vampire way, bite, bite my, my boob, boob and kill me that way because that's Ew. how arteries work. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's why he was able to wait so long, Aaron. He didn't kill her because he drank from her freaking. Oh, that's boob. right because he didn't hit the actual jugular. That's why. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Woof, guys. It was, um, you know, it was entertaining in the sense that we both went in knowing it wasn't going to be good. So that was like the one saving grace. Had I had this been made and I had read the books and didn't know the trash can on fire that it was, uh, I would have been furious. <laughs> but knowing <laughs> helped substantially. <laughs> yeah. I know, but I was like, I, I can't speak for, for your uh, partner, but... Robert, uh, when he heard we were what we were going to watch, then that, that was going to be a bad movie. He was so excited because he likes bad movies. <laughs> I know, but even he was like, uh, "Oh my god, what? yeah, like, that wasn't that wasn't fun." I was like, "Yeah, no, I know. <laughs> no, it was so nonsensical." And that actually made me think also of like the last Airbender. They tried mm-hmm. to cram four seasons into one movie. Um, but they said they were forcing one season into it, but then they somehow still managed to pull four seasons into one film. So it made no sense. So I did when I saw that, we did see it with some people who had never seen the show and were like, what'd you think? They're like, what is this? Like, it doesn't make any sense. We're like, good. We're all on the same page. <laughs> doesn't make any sense. Uh, yeah. It it's like there was yeah. all over the place. There are a lot of adaptations out there where if you don't know the original, you can still enjoy the adaptation itself. And then there are some where they kind of depend on you knowing the adaptation, which if you do, you'll hate it. Mm-hmm. And if you don't, you're so confused. Yeah. And that's a bad adaptation. That is An not good in either direction. On its own. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think... Yeah, I think we, we touched on this at the very beginning of the episode that honestly, had they picked one of the two books... 
and mm-hmm. stuck with it. I think it could have gone a lot better, but they tried way too hard to mix too many things together too quickly, and it was just a train wreck. <laughs> well, not even one of the two books. Like, If this could have worked if they focused the character instead. Like, the Vampire mm. Lestat book was all from Lestat's point of view, of course. And the Queen of the Damned book was an anthology. Mm-hmm. And they tried to do an anthology with Lestat as the main character still. Right. I think if they had just focused on Lestat and told the story, that it could have worked. Mm-hmm. Or if they focused on the anthology thing and focused less on Lestat as a char- as the main character and just had him as a character mm-hmm. and were able to explain more of the story from different points of view as a whole, yeah. it would have been better. The mishmash was just ended up being confusing. Very. Yeah. Yeah. Because we didn't, since we weren't focusing entirely on Lestat, uh, we were confused about his motives, like why he jumped on the Akasha train so fast. Yep. And why was he supporting her seemingly? And, and then why did he suddenly like betray her at the end kind of thing? Mm-hmm. Uh, and since we didn't spend enough time with all the other characters, one, who are they? even named by the <laughs> yeah. end, like who are these people fighting her? Um, yeah. And we didn't have any of Akasha's motivations. Yeah. And, and none of her history. We had none of the vampire Nothing. history. Just that she was a statue and then she wasn't a statue and she was sashaying around and had really cool little like boob glue situation and then she gets eaten and dies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I don't think they even say she's the first vampire. They just say she's the queen of the vampires. Whatever yeah, that what means. What that means. Yeah, yeah. They don't mention anything about how she really was the true original. Yeah. yeah. And mm-hmm. so it's just – it because – they didn't have a focus. It was just a mess. Yep. It's, it was funny, too. Like, some of the things that they pulled in, I was like, really? That? That you pulled in? Like, for instance, to to pull Marius's character into the, um, kind of into the periphery of the mortal awareness is, oh, look at all these paintings that mm-hmm. Marius is in. I'm like, really? You pull that piece in? That's more important than, I don't know, explaining anything else. Like, it was just like certain pieces that they pulled in. It's like, yes, Marius is an artist in the books. And yes, he lives for a very long time. So he his art moves with the period of time he's painting. That is a character thing. But it made zero sense to include that snippet with the way that they created the characters and the story around that. It was, it just... Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so <Yeah>. haphazardly put together. <laughs> oh, yeah, especially so given his whole thing of like, you can't interact with humanity. You must keep yourself separate. It's like, mm-hmm. who are you to say this, mister? I'm going to paint myself in my own paintings and let them fall into mortal hands. Right, and let people see it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, someone's going to pick up on this dude. and Yeah, and they did. They did, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, you're the gigantic hypocrite. I mean, it would make sense in the context of the book but not with how they presented him in the movie exactly yeah yeah exactly and that that was the thing is that they were picking and choosing some really weird things to pull mm-hmm. in and they were not giving it enough structure or explanation or they completely rewrote some things so then it really didn't make sense in con- in context to the things that they didn't rewrite mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah <laughs> Oh my goodness. I'm just, I'm trying to think of good things that they did well. Um, did I mention the soundtrack was really good, Julie? Yep. 
You did. However, <laughs> and, I, and I could live with the soundtrack better. However, in the very beginning of the movie, when Lestat wakes up from his dirt nap and is like, you know, inspired by the rock band in his old house, mm-hmm. he goes there and he like terrifies them with his vampire powers. Oh, yeah. Uh, but he, he sings at them and like showing that he's got like a weird vampire range of songs and mm-hmm. is like super cool because they did some CGI with like his mouth, you know, what? opening wider than usual yeah his tone is very like kind of how it's it's interpreted in the book it's like a glam rocker Mm -hmm. kind of of tone of voice and singing and so it's like the way they initially portrayed his singing ability and style is not at all how it's in the movie for at all it's like we go from to to corn (laughs) yeah exactly And they say eh, yeah. that his music is what awakens Akasha, but they show the mu- the music itself is very, like, generic lyrics of, like, your typical songs of the time. None of it is really about, none of it mentions Akasha or Ankle. They don't, like, show a song that would, like, inspire a queen, to, an ancient queen to wake up. It's just yeah. like, ooh, the music itself is, like, so fascinating. It's like, no, yeah. this is... This is new metal music. It's not going to awaken anything from the depth except that of annoyance. <laughs> really, yeah, it's not really like in the books, they, they focus a lot on how his lyrics are literal translations of stories around vampire lore and things that yeah. happened in his life or in some other vampire's life. In the movie, it, it is a little bit more veiled and where it's like it sounds like an actual rock song. But there's like there's hidden meanings in the words, mm-hmm. and so it's a lot less obvious. Um, yeah, his, his, yeah, the lyrics and the songs are very much more of like I, I'm getting like visions of like the Nick Cage movie, like I'm a vampire, I'm a vampire. <laughs> <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Um, yeah, and then really Lestat's whole persona in the film is. Like, when they first start showing him become really popular as an artist, and he's, you know, really taken on this vampire Lestat persona for his, they think is a persona, you know, there's like, what would you say to every, all the other vampires out there? And they think they're being funny. And he's like, come out, come out wherever you are. And so he's like trying to get people's attention. When in the book, he was really, he was on the run. <laughs> And was trying to stay away from certain people because they're like, you're telling our family secrets. Shut up. Mm. <laughs> so- well, he was he was kind of double thinking in that, like, you know, he was kind of like, you know, wishing for a war. He wanted it, mm-hmm. I think, just to feel alive a little bit. Yeah. And also because it would mean that, you know, his loved ones would come back to him. He yeah, wanted come to find him. Marius to find him. He wanted Gabrielle and Louis to come back to him. Mm-hmm. Um but he was very much hiding himself from other vampires because it's like, I don't want to just die. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to have tussles that I don't want to do right now. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, totally different vibe. It was just a very, um, yeah, the tonal shifts, or I guess lacked, lack of tone <laughs> was just, uh, oh, Julie, it was so bad. Yep. So, so bad. And I'm trying to think if there's anything else. I feel like, I mean, we could just yell into the void forever how bad it was. But I'm trying to think if there was anything else that was like really blaringly like, what were you thinking? I mean, I mean all of it. But I'm, <laughs> yeah. I mean, especially, especially Jesse's storyline. Yeah. Because... You know, you mentioned that, you know, Jessie wasn't a very important character. Um, She was just kind of like, you know, hey, I'm here living my life Mm -hmm. kind of character. But she wasn't this, like, 
hopeless romantic i see yeah. the sexy vampire guy and love him suddenly whatever yeah. that means yeah um, like she became obsessed with and wanted to get to Lestat as like proof of the existence of a supernatural thing essentially yeah. and kind of proof of her memories she's had of vampires in her life uh once you know she had that she was kind of done with Lestat you know i think even if she hadn't been injured and turned into a vampire that you know her obsession with Lestat would have ended and probably her obsession with vampirism or her own right. aunt would have taken over. Right, because like, now she's one of the community, so now she can actually start to really dive into what that actually is like and what that means to be a vampire instead of mm-hmm. being from the outside looking in. Yeah, yeah. she she was very much like an independent woman. I mean, she um, you know worked for the Talamasca, just doing things that she liked. Before she worked for the Talamasca, she was a successful anthropologist. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Yeah, and, like, she, you know, had a series of boyfriends, but nothing too serious, and she wasn't too interested in, like, you know, marriage and a family, just living her life, doing her thing. And I like having that interpretation of a character, especially without it being, like, you know, a thing she has to spell out. Yeah. It just was. Yeah, it's just the normalcy in that. Yeah. To take that character and boil her down to a young London woman with a fascination for the dark side falls in love with Lestat for sexy reasons, I suppose. And, like, yeah. Yeah, and just like, oh. I'm going to ignore my superiors because vampires isn't sexy. Because he's got I'm, sexy cheekbones. I want to understand how vampires do, so like, you know, cut my boob and like, because that's the my best boob place into pieces. to show you how to do it. Yeah. It's like, Okay, and also, oh, and when, as I'm being killed by Lestat, yes, suck my boob. Like, <laughs> as you do. <laughs> this is like the worst character assassination. And Marius oh, is like, oh uh, no, I know. I, and I and will I have say, to do it because, again, no homo, because yeah. lots of homo in the books. <laughs> yeah. We're okay with the homo in the books. Yeah, yeah. And I think, yeah. you know, again, we fall into that horrible cinematic trope of coupling the sexy man with the sexy lady, because what else are we going to do with them? And so, mm-hmm. like, the very end, the way they end the film is Lestat and Jesse are holding hands and walking away, and everything's whizzing around them, but they're walking in slow-mo because it looks cool because they're in little capes and stuff. Um, yep. It, it, yeah. It just really was heteronormativity. Yay! Yay! <laughs> it's so great, guys, because we don't have enough representation of that in our lives. <laughs> and also, like, uh, speaking of, like, heteronormativity, where, like, you know, the male kind of has to be dominant, Lestat is very, like, domineering and rude to Akasha. To who's everyone. the queen of the I know. vampires. To everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas in the book, she is very much the dominant in that relationship. And he like, actually respects her. And and like yeah, re- and he fears, fears and reveres her and loves her. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of complex emotions yeah. around their dynamic. But absolutely, he fears and respects her immensely in the book. Yeah. and Not so much in the film. <laughs> and she has absolute power over him. She has absolute power over her own husband, Ankle. Yeah. Uh, and... Like, again, like a powerful female character who, again, doesn't have to, like, justify herself in being that role Mm -hmm. or go or have a a moment of exposition of, like, I am a strong female character. (laughs) She just is. Yeah. And it's like, that's an aspect of her that I like. Mm-hmm. And Or like the, the story of the twins, Mahara and Makari. They were just the leaders of their little tribe because they were. They had the yeah. power and the respect. And so they were. 
Yeah. The end. They, they do kind of explain that it did kind of turn into a matriarchal system. Because but, the but power not flowed ch- along the female Yeah, line. it wasn't yeah, by their the choice. It just yeah. happened to go that way. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like it, they explain that it also goes, tends to, you know, couple with green eyes and red hair. It's like. Mm-hmm. Just is. That's, that's just, just the way genetics. it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and so when Jesse is a is a witch from the line, she also has red hair and green eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, also, their version of passing Jesse as red hair in the film was barely there. Like I was expecting flaming red hair, and they kind of had a little red tone going Auburn. on. Yeah, Auburn, Auburn. Yeah, I was like, hair. I was expecting yeah. fire red. Is nope. was in my mind. Nope, didn't do that. Anyway, no, I digress. I <laughs> Yeah, and so to take all these female characters, these really good female characters, and there was no Gabriel. Yeah. At all. Uh, or Gabrielle, yeah. I should say. Yeah, no Gabrielle. Uh, and Who's she's the mom? like the, a yeah. great, like, you know, very fascinating character. character. Yes, I would have loved to have her in the movie. But anyway, mm-hmm. um, yeah, and to just like Akasha just going to accept, you know, disrespect from Lestat because, like, oh, such a king. It's like, no. No, no, no. <laughs> you, Book yeah. Akasha would beat the shit out of that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Or. Jesse, you know, just falling in love with Lestat from a distance because, ooh, sexy vampire. Yeah. Like, no. Like, yeah, like that. that's not a good right. interpretation from the book. And it's just like, it's so boring in the movie. Yeah. Because yeah. there's no reason for it other than, ooh, sexy. Uh, yep. And I hate that. Uh, yep. Same. <laughs> it, yeah, yeah. It just, it really just is demoralizing for the character development that Anne Rice spent so much time to build and gave so much texture to pull from that. And they just completely glossed over all of that and just kind of like made a sexy film that happened to have some of the characters in it. Yeah. Yeah. Anne Rice didn't like to talk about the movie very much. Really? Uh, I'm yeah, so surprised. <laughs> it was after this movie came out that she was like, you know what? I think this series would be better off as a TV show. And that's when she began her search yep. for someone to take it as a TV show. And <laughs> it took thank, 20 years. Thank God yeah, somebody did actually did it and did it justice, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I mean, it helped immensely that she worked on it with them until her passing. But, I mean, I can I can imagine that this would be a really, really big stab to the heart for any author to be like, this is what you got out of my work? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> really? <laughs> Okay. Yeah, it's like, especially since, uh, like, we talked about uh, how a huge motivating factor for Lestat is that he does not want to be alone. Mm-hmm. He does what he wants to do, and he doesn't want to be alone. And they kind of, like, smack you over the head with that in, in the in the movie mm-hmm. when Marius abandons Lestat after he finds Akasha and drinks from her and whatnot. Yeah. After that, it just becomes a kind of, like, needling point between him and Marius. Mm-hmm. Like, why are you finding me now, Marius? Didn't you abandon me and teach me a lesson? (laughs) (laughs) Rawr, Dad. I'm Uh, so upset at you, Dad. That that thing, that fear of abandonment and loneliness, isn't really a factor in any of Lestat's motivations in the rest of the movie. No, It's just like a snipe at his daddy figure and that's it. Mm -hmm. So it's like, why even have that then? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's just like cause... Create some sort of tension, but don't explain enough in any direction to really merit that tension. Yeah. Like it did it. Uh, ooh, that just made me think of one thing that was hysterically not great in the film. Like another really <laughs> horrible thing. But it was the yeah. um the kind of final showdown scene before Akasha comes into the mix where they're on like uh they're at the concert for Oh yes, Lestat. the dementors attacking. Yeah, and the dementors attacking. <laughs> 
So it's like the CG made some of the there, there were vampires that had been wronged in a bar by Lestat previously and they wanted to like beat him up because they were cranky pants about him. So they were all wearing hooded cloaks in the audience and were just mean mugging him. And then they like Dementor fly onto stage and they it's a battle and then they fight and the fans are like, wow, this is so authentic, not realizing that they're really killing each other because it was so dumb. And then Akasha played by Aaliyah shoots through the under the stage comes up and does a cool little floaty thing and then pops everybody into flames and then steals Lestat I'm like what the what the hell is happening (laughs) Ah, and then oh that's the first time you see the group of like the important vampires where they don't name any of them they're just like oh the troop has arrived they're like quick find Lestat (laughs) and it's just (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's when you first go is that Dio <laughs> oh, I think yeah Dio was the best part that came out of that movie I tell you oh my god just that... it was so fun to see him <laughs> who knew Dio was in that what a small role for him <laughs> yeah and I'm just, I'm just imagining like the writer's room as they think of this and how they think oh it'd be so cool yeah. if she like bursts through the stage and like yeah. kidnaps him that way it's like she is like an all-powerful vampire that can fly. Why, Why? is she crawling through the bottom of a stage and <laughs> burst through the middle of it? Because it looks really cool on screen, Julie. It didn't, though. It looks really it bad. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. It was, um, it, I've had this conversation with a couple other people. I think Daniel was one of the more recent people that I've talked to about this, where you can you can tell with films like this that either they were trying to put too much into a film and couldn't connect it, or they started out with something and then when it went through kind of the final review stage, the people upstairs were like, nope, we don't like this, rewrite it. So then it didn't make sense. Or like something happened in the production that just it, it just was never cohesive and it it just it's painful to experience it because you're like I don't know what's happening I should know what's happening because I've read the books and it didn't matter <laughs> what's happening Julie yeah where you can see some things where they took something from the book but gave it no explanation yeah. and therefore it's like it doesn't make sense so like it would have been better if you just left this part out yeah or and didn't really drill or- deeper like, Dedicate pick, pick yourself one. to why this is yeah. important. Pick, to pick, pick yeah. one option. Don't try to do both at the same time. Because that was the thing. Is like, I, I, I just, I, it always blows my mind with films that have too much information and not enough information all at the same time. It's like, how did you accomplish both of these things? <laughs> how? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So overall, I'd give it a 10 out of 10. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> A 10 out of 10 for awful. <laughs> and a 10 out of 10 for Dio. <laughs> Dio was the only good part. <laughs> yeah. And just to clarify, it's not actually Dio. It's not but Dio, but he sure looked like it. He was like he an sure older version like of Dio. Oh, my God. Yeah. Two of them. Two of them were there. Two of them. <laughs> One more than the other. But yeah, it yeah. was just a hoot and a half, I tell you. Robert saying that, I was cry laughing because I was like, now I can't unsee it. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, any other thoughts before we sign off? 
Well, I kind of wanted to ask your opinion, yeah. and you can edit this out if you want, if you sure. don't think it fits the flow. But um, since it kind of ties in with our discussion on Interview with the Vampire, okay. now that you've read these two books, what do you think of the interpretation of Lestat in the new TV show? Ooh, good question. Mm-hmm. Lestat in the new TV show. I think with those two books in mind... Um, I was kind of commenting on this when we were doing interview and talking about the show with you, me and Mary, that they definitely developed his character and pulled a lot more sympathy for him. He was still an asshole, but you could kind of see where the trauma was that kind of made him that way without giving too much background. Now having the full scope of the background, I I think I still like Lestat more than I do in the show with the book version because the show again I think they were still going off of interview with a vampire which is Louis's perspective still mm-hmm. so they had the, the the framework of Louis's interpretation of what he felt around Lestat at that time but they were still kind of peppering in the fact that there was some backstory there of Lestat that kind of turned him the way he was but it still didn't make him likable and I, mm-hmm. I still think that it was a very skewed perspective that was more of Louis's interpretation. The book interpretation I enjoyed a lot more because it really, weirdly enough, humanized him even when he was a vampire. It really kind of brought him to be more relatable and you could understand like all the trauma that he'd experienced in his life and why he ended up the way he did. Um, it just made a lot more sense. And I, I liked the representation of the show, but I think I like the book versions better, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. What do you think? I mean, well, uh, I really appreciate the show interpretation because, uh, as you say, it kind of melds the two versions mm-hmm. of, you know, the vampire, the um, the vampire Lestat slash Queen of the Damned interpretations as well as Louis's interpretation yeah. from interview. Yeah. You know, we kind of mentioned in the last episode that Louis is not a reliable narrator. Right. And the show kind of hints at that, too. Exactly. Um, however, to keep in mind, like, Lestat, quote unquote, wrote the vampire Lestat and he also wrote the queen of the damned within the universe Mm -hmm. so that's his perspective (laughs) he will want to look good and it is his perspective yeah and so i think what they do in the show is kind of meld the two and show that Lestat's still an asshole however here are the things that kind of made him that way yeah and i'm i'm looking forward to future seasons because like one Lestat has mentioned had made mention of his actual maker Magnus, yeah, and what happened when he was created. Yeah, he made mention of his family and how like they prevented him from being able to learn to read and write, which is why he doesn't believe in God. Mm-hmm. Um, and he also like, made mention of those who must be kept, aka Akasha and Anko. Yes, like, that's right. Why are you just name dropping things everywhere, Lestat? It's gonna come. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and also there's like a painting of Marius's in Louis's apartments. And yeah, his uh, condo in Dubai. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, so I, th- I think, Lots you know... Lots more peppered a, in there. A new interpretation of both the vampire Lestat and possibly Queen of the Damned will be coming soon. So, yes. And so, with that being related is why I asked you the, this question, because mm-hmm. it might become relevant in the future. Ooh, wouldn't Ooh. that be cool if they keep peppering that in? Because it makes sense, because you're, you're looking at Anne Rice has already created, had already created the universe and she's just going back through the motions of like, okay, what pieces have I created in my series that I want to start kind of reformatting because it's already written, it's done. So she's kind Mm -hmm. of reimagining it. 
Um, so yeah, I like, I do like how they did that. And now having even more context, having read the second and third book, that the it really brings a lot more weight to the show. I'm, I'm going to have to go back and rewatch it and be like, oh, now I understand what that means. <laughs> so it is very cool. I do like that. I get that reference. <laughs> I get it now. Yay. Yay. Uh, yeah, it took me a while, but I got there, Julie. Uh, yeah, great <laughs> question. I think that's a good yeah. way to end it. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> thank you for sticking it out with us. Thank you, Julie, for always geeking out with me. I always appreciate it. Um, yes. Before always we s- fully sign off, uh, what mm. are you reading? What are you doing? What are you experiencing right now? Anything you'd like to highlight? I mean, <laughs> uh, what I'm reading right now is not something that most readers would be interested in right now. I'm reading The Happiest Baby on the Block and What uh. to Expect the First Year, because I am literally days away from giving, Ready to pop. <laughs> at this point in time to, uh, to giving birth to our second child. So that's where my brain is at and what my experiences are about to be. So Erin... What are you reading right now? What are your experiences? <laughs> the Show same the book, Julie. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, early congratulatories to your new baby coming soon Donka to a Donka, to yeah. to a house near you. Um, what am I doing right now? Right now, um, let's see. I'm trying to think. Do I want to highlight books or do I want to highlight movies? Mm-hmm. Um, ooh, you know what I'm going to do, actually? I'm going to highlight a show that I'm watching right now. So it is a little bit older. I think it, it came out in, like, 2016, I want to say. Maybe 17. Um, it's an Australian show called Glitch. And it's hmm. kind of a cerebral sci-fi, supernatural kind of vibe. Um, for those who have seen Fringe, it's very similar, but it's based in Australia. And it's uh, basically uh, a small town in Australia has kind of a weird phone call to the local cops that there has been a disturbance at a cemetery. And then they go and take a peek and there's a whole bunch of naked people covered in dirt walking around the cemetery. And they're like, this is weird. So then they take them back to the precinct and get them checked out by their local doctor there. And then they start realizing that these people that they have found have been dead. One person's been dead for two years and some other people have been dead for like a couple hundred years. But they look fresh and very much alive. And it just kind of goes into like what is happening from there. It's fascinating. Very, it's very computer cool. simulation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's a very cool sci-fi, a little bit of supernatural going on because there's like undead rising kind of thing going on. But it is much more of kind of a like conspiracy with what's going on within the town, which is kind of where a fringe kind of is looking at like government conspiracies and like pharmaceutical conspiracies and that kind of thing. Um, it's very cool. Um, I enjoy it. And it's I don't know. Oh, you know who actually is in it that I totally forgot? So um, in the new Andor series on like the Star Wars show, um, the gal who plays, uh, what's her face? She's like the the politician who's playing both sides. Like she's she's incognito and working with the um, rebellion. Oh, Mon Mothma. Yeah, Mon Mothma. So she's in it. And also the gal who played, weirdly enough, another Star Wars actor, uh, the gal who played Anakin's mother in the episode one and three is also in it. Shmi is also in it. And I found that out because I just recently went back and rewatched the the episodes one through three. And I was like, why does that lady look so familiar? And then I Googled her. I was like, oh, my God, it's the same person. And it's like, you know, 20 years later. But um, 
Yeah. So it's it's interesting. If you like some kind of mystery sci-fi shows, I recommend it. It's on Netflix. Mm. And there's three seasons. Mm. It's pretty good so far. So I haven't finished or is it are you know, still making seasons? I don't know. I haven't finished okay. season three. I'm I'm I just finished season two. So I actually will have to look and see like did it actually wrap up in season three or did they cancel it or is it still going? I, I honestly don't know. So I might be disappointed at the end of this. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope you're not. I hope you end up enjoying it. Yes. So end. far, it's been really cool and very fun kind of mystery vibes, and I like it. All right, Miss Julie. Well, thank you for joining me. Yes, Thanks for always. nerding out. This was lovely, as always. Um, and thank you to our listeners for sitting through yet another vampire rant. <laughs> we are always going to have more time for that. So thanks for sticking it out. And we will see you next time. Bye-bye. Infinito.